Today's sponsor is Audible.com, who has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at audibletrial.com slash outnowpodcast. Wait a minute, I forgot my introduction. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and unfortunately, Abe is not here this week, but we have to carry on anyway. Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I normally discuss new movies weekly. We cover some various movie topics, jump into a mostly spoiler-free review, then jump back into other fun movie topics. This is episode 258, 258, and this week we are talking The Birth of a Nation, the 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 Sundance hit that's faced a lot of controversy since January, uh, directed, written, produced, and starring uh, Nate Parker. And uh, joining me today to discuss uh, The Birth of a Nation, we have from Movies Marcus, he was born to rebel, Rogue One of Star Wars Stories is coming soon, it's Marcus <laughs> Robinson. Hey, everybody. And hey, hey, Aaron, hey, Abe. <laughs> Not here, though. So. And uh, <laughs> straight out of the lecture hall, he's armed with a hatchet. It's Professor Mike Dillon. Hey, fellas. Mike, glad to have you back. <laughs> Shout out to Abe. Okay. Hey, good to be back. Thanks. Yeah, good to have both of you back here. Uh, looking forward to uh, talking this movie and more this week with you. And obviously, yes, Marcus, once again, <laughs> we, have, we have a black movie. <laughs> so I had you on the All show. Right. <laughs> you pulled me out from the Jackie Robinson movie and... Uh, now we got this movie. So, yeah, well, what's the next? What's the next black movie in in line? Uh, there's there's the um, there's the new bonus feature on the Twelve Years a Slave DVD called uh, Twelve Point Five Years a Slave. So, I, <laughs> are we gonna do that Medea Halloween movie? Yeah, boo, it's full title. Oh, it. It's bull ex, boo, boo exclamation point a Medea Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> in the trailer, there's a, a guy running after her, and I think he does a front flip. So I'm excited to see where that goes. Yeah, because the previous Medea movies, you know, so many unanswered questions. <laughs> yeah, I hear this one really ties them all. <laughs> of course, Marcus, I'm just joking. Obviously, it's nice to have you on this podcast. It happened to work out this way as <laughs> what was going on. <laughs> but, uh, Circumstances. And thank course, you, thank you. Exactly. And, you know, to balance it out, I wanted to have an educated man here with, which is why I got, I got, I got <laughs> Professor Mike Miller back on the podcast. <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I figured the the Ghostbusters was just a great gateway to the birth of a nation, so here we are. Yeah, stop bringing me on for movies that are, like, weighed down by controversy. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> All right, well, before we get to the, the main show here, let's get to some show notes stuff real quick. Um, our horror bonus episodes, we have, uh, for every week in October, we've been doing special bonus episodes focused on genres of horror films. Uh, the first week we did slasher films, this, this week we did monster movies. And we'll have three more coming, but those are all uh, those two are currently available on iTunes and Audio Boom. So if you want to hear about uh, what myself, Abe, and friends of the show and horror experts uh, Brandon Peters and Jimmy O have to say about uh, a lot of uh, horror genres and a lot of their picks for these genres in general, those are a lot of good, fun, informative episodes to check into. Um, what else here? Speaking speaking of friend of the show, Jimmy O, uh, he has a movie that he's produced called The Harvesters, which has a free premiere in L.A. on the 18th of October. So if you're in the L.A. area, get, head to uh, the Regency Westwood Theater because you can see uh, a new horror movie for free. And um, let's see. iTunes reviews and ratings, good to get those. Helps out the show, helps other people find the show. If you want to log on to iTunes and give us some support, you can search Out Now with Aaron and Abe. You can give us a star rating, and you can even write up a little review if you want to. 
And uh, lastly, another uh, location-focused uh, little nose bit here. If you want to be an intern for the Newport Beach Film Festival, a film festival I'm happy to cover every year, uh, my lovely girlfriend is the director of interns, and you can email her at interns at newportbeachfilmfest.com um, if you uh, want to learn more about film festivals and be part of one. All right. Um, let's see if all that, uh, you know, again, Mark, Marcus and Mike, you guys are both here in the, on the West Coast area, so it's hard to be like, get something less location-specific. But if, once we get a guest on, in, like, Colorado or New York or somewhere else, they can throw out all their things, too. But for now, I'm in SoCal, and these are the things that I have to bring up. So there you go. Um, let's see. Let's get to, let's get to know everybody. We each we ask each other a question or two, try to set the tone for the podcast, and better get to know everybody. And uh, so I'm going to ask. Know everybody. Thank you. The timing, <laughs> as always, sharp as attack. I'm, tr- I'm trying, trying my best. <laughs> Abe will be missed. Abe will be missed. <laughs> missed, 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 missed. <laughs> I have a I have a question for you guys. What was the last movie to inspire you? Uh, um, inspire in any like way. upward or downward in any way. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I want to say Birth of a Nation, but I don't want to like kill my review. Exactly, I'm gonna say Birth of a Nation. That's exactly what I was gonna say. If that's reasonable, if that's where you're going with it, <laughs> that's what I'm going with. All right. Well, I think I, I mean I might answer this question by sort of redirecting to a previous episode of yours, okay. which is uh, I'm sure I'm sure I've seen some quote unquote inspirational films between then because this is going all the way back to March, but a film that really inspired my desire to just like hunker down and have a really long conversation about the issues presented in the film was Eye in the Sky. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah. much so that I reached out to you and we did a, a pretty long uh, bonus episode. You know, yeah, breakdown we'll, of that film. Yeah, yeah. So all about it, yeah. Yeah, so I'm still uh, I'm still plugging that film to people who uh, ask me what I've seen this year. That's an awesome. excellent reference point because that is a, that's a, it is a because I think we both agree, it, we we both agree it's not like a great movie, but it's certainly it's certainly a good one and it has a lot of interesting ideas behind it. Yeah, and I'm a lecturer, you know, so when you say inspire me, I, I think inspire conversation, inspire debate. Right. Uh, so for your listeners, go check out episode whatever, whatever. <laughs> It is. Yeah. Sorry, it's a it's a bonus episode from back, and I believe like around March for Eye and yeah. the Sky. So yeah, that is currently available. Yeah, go see that. All right. I don't have Abe here to counterbalance with a silly no everybody question, so that's going to do it for no everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was waiting for Marcus to chime in four seconds. Later. Oh no, everybody! <laughs> okay. All right, let's move on to no quickies. Uh, this is where each week we <laughs> we see one main movie of the week, but we always have other movies that we see during the week that's always have a segment called Out Now Quickies, TM. Marcus, have you seen any other movies recently you want to bring up? Um, Yeah, you know, I saw 31. Uh, I don't oh, know how recent. That's the that new Rob is. Zombie? That's the Rob film. Zombie movie. <clears throat> and, you know, it, it's basically kind of... I'm not a huge Rob Zombie fan, but it, it's the same old Rob Zombie stuff. Like, I like his – I think he has a directorial eye. I think he could be the face of R-rated horror, but I need somebody to write him a script. Like give him a story or something because it's just so frustrating to see these just terrible scripts with these awful characters that are just I, – I want them all to die. So that's that's my take of 31, but that's also my take of like Lords of Salem – 
that was my take of his last few films. It, it, they look great, and they look like he has talent, but the stories are kind of blah, and the characters, the main characters you're supposed to be rooting for are just lame. It's when he, yeah, when he tries to write good protagonists, they don't tend to come out that way. That's why I think Devil's Rejects is still his best movie because it doesn't it doesn't ask you to root for good people. Right. It asks you to sit there with the bad guys and go on this crazy road trip with them. And it's oh it's, yeah, so I didn't even mention what it was about. So it's about it's it's okay. So it's basically these characters and they're in a, like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre van and they're riding through like this Hills Have Eyes type countryside and then they're kidnapped and forced to play this running man game, but it's ultra violent and the bad guys are pretty good, but just those characters, I, I just, they're so poorly written that you just can't root for them. You just you want to root for them to make it through this game, and the game's good, and the you know it's it's rehashings of stuff I'd seen already. Mm. Um, but did he, the did he write the script as well? Yeah. yeah. Yes. I think he nor he he usually does that. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think he's done a movie where he hasn't written the script. Okay. Right. Right. Besides, it's just, like, this is remaking this Halloween. Is, he still wrote the script for it. This is just a pattern. It's just a pattern of I, I, maybe he doesn't want another script. Maybe, but his his visuals sometimes I I would say his visuals sometimes are breathtaking. No, yeah, I think as a director, just, he's yeah, he's he's and he has a he has like a stamp to it. Maybe you know it riffs off a lot of other directors, but he's he has his own right. kind of stamp on how he does things. But he does it in the way that I would think like Tarantino does it with any genre that he does. He just uh-huh. is really specific to this particular genre, the slasher genre, you could tell he's a big fan and he just makes it more gruesome and more bloody and he makes it his own. Well, I mean, the, the comparison to Tarantino is really interesting, right? Because he is also, and this goes all the way back to his music and like the way he samples um, mm-hmm. sort of film references, other kind of things in his soundscape, going back to, to White Zombie. Um, he's really kind of attentive to the history of not just horror, but just kind of schlocky media imagery that's always been interesting. He's a huge, and, he's, you can tell he's a huge, uh, not only fan of like cinema, a film, like a film fan, but yeah, he's, he's like a student of cinema. You yeah. He's tell. really it's, informed. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and that's, that makes him, I think singular and it makes him kind of unique. It's just that he seems to be, unable to kind of reach the the promise and the heights that he showed us with devil's rejects right everything since then just kind of falls short but it's Uh, right it's right there it's 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 right there for the take i think i mean i maybe i'm missing somebody but a true hardcore rated r adult uh, uh horror face he could be that face he rob zombie could be the guy that's making these or slasher rated R good films that are getting noticed by people just like you did in Devil's Rejects. It's just the scripts are lacking. The scripts are it really kind of became it kind of became James Wan as far as mainstream popular goes. I, I, w- I wouldn't put him in the gore fest category. No, I would no, I certainly not. And even like the Conjuring films, which are rated R, they're very light on kind of on, mm-hmm. on outright bloodshed. But uh, I would say Gorefest gore is. But I mean, he did, he did it, become famous. It could because, be a pro- something that could be a prominent. Thing. He did become famous because of Saw. I mean, that's that's what James Wan came right. from. So. Right. But I mean, I think I think like what Rob Zombie brings is like like a real 
horror, like an eye for real depravity in, right. in the movies that doesn't just well, become all, about it's like gimmicky, it's gimmicky body stuff, right? I mean, all their characters, with the exception of Lords of Salem, which seemed like there was a, a, direct, a direct takeaway of like, I'm not going to have every character swearing up a storm, even though since every other one of his movies has like, that's part of that. That's part of his kind of cinematic language right there, where it's, it's, it's a mix of like atmosphere that calls to mind a lot of grindhouse seventies horror mixed with a lot of like trailer 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 trash attitudes is like what people are saying and how they're speaking and whatnot. No, correct, correct. Yeah, I, I, I get where he's coming from. It's just it, in long form, it just really doesn't work. I don't know, and he just keeps kind of doing the same thing over and over again. I, I think if say like him and like James Wan were to come out with something. That might be unbelievable, but you maybe know, we just give him a co-writer that can kind of maybe, yeah, run, maybe flesh out yeah, his ideas more and round out the characters. Something his story. I think the story ideas might not be as bad as the script itself. Mm-hmm. And then the people, you know, he has his what, what do they call those? So the, the same people that do every film, pretty much. They're they're agreeable. They're they're going to be agreeable to do every every one of these films. So. I don't know that they even read the script. I, I don't. I don't know the process of this. But the scripts are just not good. They're just not good. Yeah, I think if he could get out of this kind of creative ghetto of kind of trailer trash, carny, yeah, uh, uh, type, you know, uh, uh, what types of storylines? I mean, he does have an eye for really solid filmmaking too. Like I thought, the Halloween remake, insofar as it is an unnecessary remake. Mm-hmm was pretty strong. It had strong stuff in it. Um, I, I know people might disagree, <clears throat> uh, but I think, you know, as I, I far as, Hall- re- as far as unnecessary remakes go, I thought it wasn't that bad. I think it's Halloween is, f- I think that the best parts of Halloween are everything that aren't a remake of Halloween. Like that third act, which right. is the remake of Halloween, that stuff's like, it, it doesn't work very well, but the kind of build the up first to act, it. The first act, which is all from Halloween two, I think maybe, no, no, it's all just, Hall, it's just, it's just I, can't, all, I can't remember my Halloween, but well, no, it's all, all just back. It's all backstory that. that never existed before. That's completely new. So it, no, the backstory is taken from a, a later Halloween film that they've incorporated into the remake. I can't remember. Maybe it's, maybe it's part it's, four. It, Your listeners it, probably it, know. It's not. It's, it isn't. It isn't. No. Am I wrong? I, I am a big Halloween series fan. It is. It's all oh. just new stuff. That's why. Yeah, it, that's stuff. why a lot of people don't like it because it goes into the the kind of the where Michael Myers came from when he's just right. the shape. Yeah, or, that, I think that just reinforces the point that he's he's got an eye for direction, but when he has to be kind of creative on the paper or anything like that, it just slacking. Even Lords of Salem, which I don't know that a whole lot of people saw or anything like that. Some of those scenes are strikingly beautiful in their horror and their grotesqueness, and they're some of the best things I've seen outside of like a snippet here or a snippet there of American Horror Story. But just the scripts are not that good. All right, that's, that's enough about Rob Zombie on our Birth of a Nation podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, Mike, what's the most recent film you've seen? Uh, I haven't been out to the movies that much, but I am going to plug a upcoming music documentary. Uh-huh. I mean, this is a very strange shift in our conversation, but, um, this, this film, it's called We Are X. It played at Sundance and is coming out in limited theaters, uh, later this month. Is it about <clears> X? It's about a Japanese rock group called X Japan. Oh, so it's not about the, the 80s rock band X? No, 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 no. This is a, 
a band that's immensely popular in Japan, of course, but also has a pretty strong following all around the world, just curiously not in the United States. Um, I was fortunate enough to screen it in advance for my students, and the response, it's very good, and the response was almost unanimously positive. Um, so I urge your listeners to go give it a look. All right. There's really nothing much more to say about it. Okay. What's the phone called again? We are X. We are X. Okay. I uh, saw the girl on a train, on the train, on a train, on the train, the girl on the train this week. Yes. Uh, Yes. I want to make sure to get these articles right because um, I did not like this movie. Um, The I have not read the book. I've heard lots better things about the book, and I assume that it's because the prose, um, you know, really elevates the material and gives you something to latch onto as far as the characters or whatnot. Um, But the the movie. Is very flat. Um, the 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 performances are actually from uh, mainly from Emily Blunt uh, is quite good, but the the kind of the way the story plays out, the the way it's handled and its direction from Tate Taylor, um, it it just it makes it a very dull kind of mystery thriller, um, and it's unfortunate. I didn't go in knowing what I didn't really know what the story was beyond what the kind of trailer hints at, but right away I kind of feel like I knew where things were going to be headed. Um, there's not a lot of um, aesthetic value to make me admire at least the, the way it's being you know told to me. Um, the only thing I could really you know praise is that you're seeing a, a flawed female protagonist, which you don't really see that often in film. But aside from that, like it just it it doesn't have much to to really do for you like it, it it you know it plays like a kind of a well i mean it is like essentially like an airport novel and it plays like a you know kind of that kind of story that can grab you to an extent but the 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 way things happen just seems so preposterous to me where you know you look at a movie like gone girl which i know is you know very dissimilar from this movie because the I mean, even the author of the girl on the train does not like the comparison to gone girl but like as far as you know, books that are, you know, very popular that you pick up and generally read and like, you know, during travel or whatnot, that movie, like at least the way the story was structured in the script and the writing, like you could, you could hear a kind of like, they're kind of in on the joke of how ridiculous it is. And there's a satirical value that goes along with it. But the way this plays out, it just feels like it's playing it very straightforward and taking itself completely serious. So it's not, it's not all that, it's not all that fun to watch. In any so it's, it's, you're saying it's very you're saying it's very one track. It is, yeah. It's very, <laughs> yes, it's very one. Track. I don't know. That, you, didn't, you didn't enjoy it at all. No, I didn't. I I I, I kept wow. I kept wanting to find something to like get into on this, and it just beside aside again from like Blunt and uh, what's her name Haley Bennett and the other um, Rebecca Ferguson. Like they're they're all good with what they're trying to do, even though all three of their roles center around how great Justin Thoreau apparently is because he, you know, he's with <laughs> all of them. Uh, but it, it's just so like, it's just, it wasn't very engaging. I kept like wanting to get something out of this, but you, it's, like the characters are mostly just kind of stock things that you, you know, watch do whatever they're supposed to be doing until it finally arrives at some kind of conclusion. I, and like I, the I, world I just... exists in where they're going back and forth on trains Right. And like the like Alice and Janney's in there as like a cop, and uh, where's the Laura Prepon from um, Seventy Show and the Orange is the New Black? She steps in there as like the I guess she's the sister. I thought it was the best friend, um, but like they're just <laughs> they just kind of like randomly appear whenever the story needs to. Like there's no real sense of logic to a lot of like what's going on or like how these people function. Besides what that's got to be on the direction. It well, it's it, that's what I'm the... saying. I, I mean a better yeah film no no, would no be no I, I, I totally agree. So did you see it too? 
I did see it too. I I, I agree. I, I liked it a little. I liked it better than you. I you didn't really like it at all, but I thought it was coherent. Um, but it's coherent to a point. But it's I mean, even it, the setup is so awkward, where like it introduces you to like all three characters via like voiceover, so, even though it's clearly okay. Emily Blunt's story. It's like why do I why do I need to hear the thoughts of these other people if it's just if it's going to follow right? It wasn't it, it it wasn't translated well. See, I, I don't like to bring in the book. I read the book too, but it has nothing to do with the, with the, with the film. Um, the translation was not terrible. It just it's a book. It's a, they have to cut stuff out. The, the 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 thing for me was the direction. Okay, so when my first thought in this movie was, man, this may be Emily Blunt's worst performance. But as I kept seeing those weird close-ups and those weird like slow motion things that they were doing, and it was just super repetitive, and the cutting was weird from back and forth in time. It was just. It was the director's fault. Um, it's like when somebody takes a bad picture of a pretty person. It's not the pretty person's fault. It's the director's fault. It's the person taking the picture's fault. I think this movie had a little bit more in it than than you saw. I, I, I was a little bit more entertained than you were, but I see where you're coming from. It's just, you know, I, 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 there's stuff behind what's going on, I can imagine, as far as, like, what it's trying to say or whatnot, but, like, if the movie's so dull to me, I have nothing to really respond to. It's just I couldn't get into it. Uh, all right, well, that's the girl on the train. Yeah, which is sorry, awesome. I, uh, haven't, no, I haven't read the book, haven't seen the movie, just being blunt. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Hitting with the quips today, huh? Okay. So <laughs> was, yeah. Well, that was on our quickies. <laughs> Yeah, let's move on. Now, let's get to our trailer talk this week, where we talk about one of the newest movie trailers of the week, when it's coming out, what we thought of it, and what have you. And this week, we're discussing Get Out, the trailer for Get Out, the film written and directed by Jordan Peele of Key and Peele fame, who uh, has a new film with Bloomhouse, um, which uh, which which surrounds a a a a a black man with with a white girlfriend who goes to their family's estate, and weird things happen because of this. Um, so with that, with that out of the way, Mike, let's get to you. What did you think of the trailer for Get Out? I maybe I'm just getting a little too used to really slick presentations and trailer, but I thought it was pretty incoherent, um, particularly in, in the second half. Once they start hitting you with the, like a very disconnected set of, um, I guess, spooky images. Um, so I, I thought as a trailer, I just didn't think it was very uh well put together. I do have a theory about that, though, and I want to know what you guys think. I'm, I'm going to assume that because it's Jordan Peele, that there's going to be a very obvious strain of racial satire through this film. And my theory is that the marketing doesn't quite know how to capture that, um, which is what results in this trailer. Um, because as a straight-up horror trailer, I think it looks pretty dumb. And like the February release date is also a tad worrisome because it potentially indicates the studio does not know what to do with this film. Although not, not necessarily I realize, but um, I am more, I'm also a horror fan and I'm interested, but more so because of uh, Jordan Peele uh, less so because the trailer is particularly intriguing to me. That's my, that's my two cents. What do you have to say about that, uh, Marcus? Wow. I was going to say, I love the trailer, but, uh, Mike, I think you kind of changed my mind a little bit. Yeah, 
maybe there are flaws in this trailer. Maybe it does seem kind of muddled in retrospect. Um, I'm hoping the movie's really good because, you know, it has Jordan Peele. It's from, I know he's a huge fan of the horror genre as well. Um, and I thought the premise was funny. I mean... The, the premise is interesting. I think the first the premise, half of the trailer is terrific. May, if, it, if this is just based minute. on the trailer, I could see how people might take the trailer and kind of go, meh, whatever, or no, I'm not interested. I could see that. I, I'm hoping the movie's... Maybe I'm I'm projecting what the movie's going to be, and I really like the trailer off of that off of that projection. But maybe you're right. Maybe the, this film... The, the trailer is kind of muddled a little bit. Um... Maybe they don't just don't know how to handle it. You're, you're, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I, yeah, go ahead. I don't think you're right. <laughs> I, I, um, I think if there's any muddling, it's just because there's only so much you can show to get across a basic idea. But I think the basic, pre- the premise, I think, is kind of at its peak when you get to when um the the main character like walks up to Keith Stanfield. And, you know, it's like, oh, there's another brother. And then he, like, you know, starts freaking out eventually when he takes his picture. Like, I think you could probably cut, you could stop the trailer there, and I have everything I need about that movie. And then, you know, the second half's just a lot of, it's what every trailer does, which is a lot of just montage shots of things that are weird or creepy to further intrigue anyone that wasn't already intrigued. But as far as a studio trying to capture what's going on in the movie, I don't, I don't think it misplaces what it's trying to do. I think if you're, if there's, you know, an, an attentive viewer that's, that's watching this thing, they can see that it's not just a straight-up horror movie, that there is some inherent comedy and satirical value that's going on as far as kind of race culture within the guise of a horror film. So you think if somebody didn't know who Jordan Peele was, they would get that this is a comedy? No, and that's why I'm saying an attentive, you know, an attentive viewer, like someone that you know okay. that 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 has a, a basic a basic perception of, of who certain people are, and for sure, and even what what the studio is, which is you know Bloomhouse, which is a horror studio, like the idea of mashing the name Jordan Peele with Bloomhouse, is, I mean they're they're putting that in the trailer for a reason. Like chances right. are that if you see the name Jordan Peele, for the most part, people will have a, an idea of what that means. I, I, right. I, I, I'm not, I'm not yeah, going to say I'm not going to say you know. These people, you know, the people that are making these trailers are, you know, the all well-knowing people out there. But as far as, you know, trying to highlight certain aspects of why you should be intrigued by something, I don't think they put the name Jordan Peele in there because they think most people don't know who that is. Um, so the idea of mashing horror with just that name alone, I think, already stirs up some thoughts. But even if you don't, I think the trailer is showing me what the movie essentially is. And, like, I... When I, you know, watching it, I, I got a big Stepford Wives vibe from it. I got a Rosemary's Baby vibe from it. And sure enough, reading interviews the next day about it, a friend of the show, Scott Mendelson, actually got to talk to Jordan Peele about that. Uh, he name checked those movies and others that, you know, called that were things that certainly were called to mind just watching this trailer alone. I, um, and just from a, a basic understanding of the, what the movie's trying to be, I'm very much intrigued by this. I mean, it, 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 it has a, simple setup that quickly goes off the rails as far as what it's trying to do but i i i haven't seen many horror movies that have you know ostensibly a black lead that that really has you know something underneath the surface as far as racial tensions go yeah, as far as what, yeah, what this seem, to it seems like it can go places it seems like it has it's layered and it can go places but i don't know maybe from this trailer i don't know I, i'm hoping maybe i'm hoping that it goes places, and I'm hoping it's layered, and I'm hoping that it's strong in its satire. Well, 
is Jordan Peele giving interviews in which he's saying, no, no, this is a real attempt at real horror? Like, obviously, there may be a satirical sensibility to yeah, his he, writing. He said, but... he, said it's the, he said there's some humor in it, but that amounts to the best comparison would be something like Scream, which is which is a horror okay. movie. It just happens to have a lot of comedy in it. Right. So he he it is his wish that he be seen as a, you know, a serious horror film maker in this with this project, is that it's correct? Wish that he wants, you know, this. It's going to be viewed as a thriller that happens to have humor in it, which isn't, you know, that's not un, that's not unusual for any kind of okay, thriller okay, that wants because, to have an attempt of release of some kind. Yeah, because I have to admit that if I saw this trailer for this, you know, this kind of horror film with an interesting premise, but the trailer doesn't seem that remarkable to me, and it's coming out in February. If the Jordan, if a, a new film by Jordan Peele was not sort of very prominently in the trailer, I don't think I'd have any interest in this. I will say, I mean, if, I, it, for what, if it came out, if it was coming out like, it was, if it was that first week of January horror movie, which there always is like a first right, week of January. Right, that's the dead zone. That's right, the dead but zone. But, but, but even then, yeah, even February then, horror, is not quite that, but... You no, know, it's not. But even I then, think, I mean, horror, there's a reason why horror movies come out every time of the year. They can make money at any time of the year. There's not really a... Right. It's... it's it's not as if they're they're shooting for certain audiences. Like something like The Conjuring Two, that was a blockbuster. Right, it makes sense to put I'm, that out. What so. I think I'm trying to get you to agree with me on is that if this was not a Jordan Peele project, we would not be talking about it. I don't know. I think right? if I saw That's... if I saw this trailer minus the name Jordan Peele, I'd still be intrigued by what it's setting up because I haven't seen him. Yeah, I like think this the, I, the the setup is good. The setup is good. I mean, maybe maybe without the trailer. Even without the trailer, this it, 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 perhaps, it, it perhaps perhaps gives you more confidence in what I can maybe expect from it because watching yeah, Key, yeah, watching, yeah. watching the show Key and Peele, uh, both you know both Key and Peele as well as their director um, Peter Atienzeno, I believe something like that uh, who directed Keanu, they they clearly have a lot of cinematic aspirations. Like you can you watch a lot of their skits, and while they're obviously funny, when they kind of when they try to evoke a lot of different ideas depending on what they're spoofing or parroting or paying homage to there's a great cinematic eye for how those things play out and that's why i was kind of that's why their cinematic aspirations is presumably why they left the show right yeah well yeah because they're getting more and more popular they can move on to other things but Um, yeah like that's why i was that's why i was disappointed with keanu because there's there's hints at some greater ideas there than what the movie ultimately presents like even like the opening scene alone is this like fantastic john woo ish action sequence and even some of the kind of there's even some social ideas they don't really capitalize on, but they're there. And so I, yeah, I'm, I, maybe I'm putting too much stock in, uh, maybe not too much stock, but I'm responding to my own intrigue in this kind of interesting pattern in people primarily known for comedies who then go off and try their hand at the horror genre. Uh-huh. So I'm thinking of like Kevin Smith with Red State and Tusk, and neither of those were that great, uh, but they were interesting insofar as they were coming from this really from a really unexpected place, right? They're very unexpected projects from someone like Kevin Smith, but also like Bobcat Goldthwait's um, uh, uh, Willow Creek. Yeah, this guy, that's a oh. movie. Right. Yeah, which is like his, which is his Blair Witch homage, right? Yeah. But, I mean, I feel like there's something about the structure of horror that seems to attract these writers. I don't really know, but I feel like there's something to that. And within that context, I find it really interesting that well, uh, this I mean, is the Jordan Peele project. Horror and comedy are very similar in what they're trying to do where they both have to you know basically set up something and pay it off right. in some way where you know comedy is obviously a punchline horror is you know, something you know, something different usually more in the macabre nature but i mean it 
looking at just what the movie's trying to do, regardless of it being a horror movie, it does seem like something that Peel, Jordan Peele would be involved with as far as what kind of what kind of commentary is going on there. It kind of makes me go back to all the Key and Peel sketches that are just kind of demonic in nature. Yeah. Um, there's a few that are just really, like, really dark and kind of crazy, right? Those. Yeah. And it makes me take another look at those. But yes, I mean, getting to what your other question was, yeah, if the name Jordan, the name Jordan Peele, obviously, it, yes, it does. It makes me more intrigued by what it has to offer, but I would still I would still argue that yes, if I just saw this trailer without a name necessarily attached to it, saying maybe just Bloomhouse, I'd, I'd be interested in what it's trying to do because it, it is something different compared to other a lot of other ones. That's my two cents. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> All right, well, Get Out arrives in theaters February seventeenth next year, and so we will see on that one. Uh, but now let's get to our main review, guys. Let's uh, let's get to talking about the birth of a nation. I lead you to Peter, 218. Submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. I'm that. What you think you're doing, boy? I asked you a question. You're done preaching for a little while. You learned your lesson, boy? Oh, yes, to watch a strong man broken down is a terrible thing. The Lord spoken to me. Visions of what's to come. A rise of good against evil. What are we gonna do? We'll fight. But once it begins, our brothers and sisters are joined. And we'll number in the hundreds, thousands even. And we'll That should have been some of the trailer for The Birth of a Nation, which arrived on the scene at Sundance and was met with a level of acclaim that amounted from uh, initial re- amounted from initial reactions from the film, in addition to Fox Searchlight uh, doing a record purchase price to distribute it. Uh, using his own money and pooling together funds for many, Nate Parker writes, directs, produces, and stars in this film that depicts the Nat Turner slave rebellion and the events that led up to it. Good intentions aside, the film has also become a washing controversy due to past events in Parker's own life coming back into the conversation and turning the tide on what the film could have accomplished. Keeping all of this in mind, Mike, I want to ask you, what, what did you think of, in some general thoughts to start with, what did you think of The Birth of a Nation? I'm going to open by saying that I had not planned on seeing this film. Mm-hmm. I, was, I, was, I wanted to, but I also was conflicted about supporting it. Um, so when you invited me on to talk about it, that's when I thought, you know, having a conversation about it is more productive than just kind of pretending it doesn't exist. So I went and saw it. And I think the gracious way to put it is that it's very much a victim of its own hype. Um, if I'm being less gracious, I, I would say I found it very pompous and truth be told, kind of mediocre. Mm-hmm. Um I know we're going to get into the details um, and it's like filmic qualities and I'll get plenty of opportunities to explain how I feel about those things. But um, since you brought up the controversy, like if I may, um, since we're early in the conversation, I'd like to plant a couple flags here about why the film is important or, or not why it's important, but why the conversation around it is mm-hmm. um, of some significance, right? The film seems to have landed uh, in between two uh, kind of concentric circles in our society right now that have p- possibly compromised the film beyond repair. Um, one is that it's uh, it's considered very timely because of Black Lives Matter. 
Um, also, the kind of naked racism of the Donald Trump campaign and these issues appear to be kind of the pressure points that Nate Parker was going for. And it does really legitimize the political seriousness of his film. What he didn't anticipate is that the conversation around the film has also become kind of a lightning rod about another social issue, which is women's rights and rape culture. Uh, since I mentioned Trump, it's also worth noting that we're recording this about 48 hours after the revelation of video footage of Donald Trump bragging about sexually assaulting women, right? So, you know, I, I don't want to necessarily focus on things that are outside the film, but I think we do have an important bit of business among the three of us that I think we need to be clear about moving forward as we get into this, which is this very complicated question of whether the film um, or, you know, whether art in general should be judged as a work of art that is independent of the identity of the artist or whether his story and certain biographical details from his personal life, including the very sort of upsetting details about this rape allegation, is uh, a valuable or even necessary approach in understanding what kinds of life circumstances um, of the artist may have had a, like a determining effect on his work. Right. So I feel like how the conversation proceeds from here will be informed pretty heavily by how each of us feels um, about that issue of how to separate art from artists. So I'm pretty curious about where you guys stand on this kind of in an abstract way. Um, so that's kind of my, my opening sort of statement about this film. And of course we'll get into you know details about the story and the structure and all those things. But I felt like that was a very important elephant in the room to, to get out there up front. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, the, there's, there are many that would claim something among the lines, regardless of what their thoughts on the film were, that you know they have to put some some kind of postscript or some kind of note that you know explains the 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 broad idea that like by the way I, I am only judging this film based off my opinion of the film itself and not taking into account whatever the artist was involved in or whatnot. And that's, I mean that's a that's a that's it's, I'm not gonna say it's a lie, but it you know it's not true. It's not accurate. I mean there's. It's as it's it's the same thing as saying like a, a filmmaker makes a film that's not political. There's always something involved in it, whether it's subtextual or even in the subconscious of the filmmaker at the time. There's always going to be something that's in the background informing how they're going about making these certain decisions of what to do, and that that applies to how your opinion shapes around a motion picture as well. I mean, you you can say you're walking into something, you know, open-minded or what have you, but every single thing is going to play a factor, whether it's your certain stances on a topic or if you're just not very comfortable in the seat you're in because someone's kicking your chair. Like, all of that's going to inform how you feel about a movie at the end of the day. Um, it may not be an inverted response. It may color your response in a certain way, but that's that's what makes you human, <laughs> essentially. Um, and so... Yeah, well, yeah, the point I'm yeah the point I'm making just real quick is, is more about addressing like our thoughts on how yes, important I, it is we feel to reinforce or possibly resist the impulse to assume that every decision and in fact like the very DNA of this film should be wholly or partially attributed to the single auteur. In this case, that's obviously Nate Parker, and whether or not biographical information from his life needs to frame how we interpret the film or if we can like separate those two things. And so, you know, Marcus, what do you think? I, you know, I, I think it's impossible to do so. It's impossible to separate it, but I would hope people do because I really liked it. That said, there's a tra I don't know if you guys have seen, there's a trailer out there that like just, just supposes scenes from the movie with like police pr anti-police protests. 
I don't know if you've seen this. Yeah, I, see, I saw that. Trailer. No, I haven't. Yeah, I haven't it's like a TV right. spot. So they're, it, so yeah. they're, they're really promote. So that's they're really promoting this as a please look at current events. Please be aware that this is where we live. Please be aware that this is the that trailer alone made me want to see this movie more so. It because it made me want it, that that trailer was like saying this is the line in the sand and the oppressed should rise up. And here's a motivational story that might empower you to be in the mindset to do so. If you're so inclined to do so. Uh, and I, that's why I wanted to see this movie. Um, I wanted to see if the movie actually did that. So as real, much real as quick, I want to take real, the real, movie real, real okay. quick, I, I, I want to back that up by saying, yeah, the movie, I mean, I, I imagine Fox's Fox searchlights PR, People for this movie has had a, probably a nightmare of trying to figure out how to do it in the wake of everything going on with Nate Parker, and yeah, right. that seems to be a certain you know certainly a, a direction they've chosen to kind of head on address the fact that the movie has things to say that reflect today's uh, society in various ways. And there's in, in addition to like that TV spot you're mentioning, which I've seen, there's a, you know there's there, there's giant posters that that reference the the idea that the birth of a nation is very much calling to mind the D.W. Griff, Griffith film and, you know, trying to basically appropriate that title back for the, right. back for the black man, essentially. Like it's, right, right, there's right. A, there's, a, there's a big, I, I know there's a, a, a large movement uh, of taking things back, taking certain, a certain word back, taking stuff back. And, and I, and, and, and all this stuff is, is impossible to avoid going into this movie. And I actually, kind of absorbed it and liked it and it hyped me up to going into this movie. Now I felt differently than, 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 than others probably judging from the other reviews I've read, but I kind of soaked everything in, even though I understand that you take the movie for what it's worth. There are certain negatives that are coming out of, out of, out of, out of this, this, this bowl, but there are certain hmm, there are certain kind of lightning rods or call to action things that are kind of hyping me up to see this movie. Now, it had it had an influence on whether I like this movie or not, and you know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I, like you said, if somebody kicks my seat, it's going to have an influence on whether I like a movie or not. It might have some kind of influence on. On, on on my viewing experience but obviously this thing has grown to such a, 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 a it's grown to such such a, a, a thing that it's impossible to avoid it going into this movie if you go into this movie there's no way you don't know at least one of the things mentioned here there's no way you're not watching um, the political scene there's no way you're not watching the news there's no way there's no way you're missing this so it's imp- i think it's impossible for anybody to go in this movie in a vacuum i i'm with you there and i guess my question <clears throat> just to kind of press on this a little further is you know you're right that we're like already discussing the film within that larger framework and yeah. i haven't seen the particular like mashups of uh, uh i guess police brutality or uh black lives it, matter stuff yeah, so it's, it's it's a lot of Black Lives Matter um, video, marches, yeah, yeah, protest I get, marches, and I this is like these are on networks. These are this is I saw this one after an episode of Atlanta, so this is on FX. This is not just put together on YouTube or something like that. I mean, this it's, is, that that's really 
compelling, right? It's, it's what makes the film kind of compelling. And it's also in, informs the larger kind of hype around the film, which, you know, is the reason you felt it warranted an episode on your obviously very busy podcast schedule. Now, the film, in other words, has already been absorbed into a larger conversation about social justice and the mistreatment of black bodies in America on the streets and in relation to the police, but also with very explicit regard to the problematic politics of the Academy Awards, right, and diversity in Hollywood. So you're, I, I'm 100% with you insofar that it has already been kind of perhaps permanently and irreversibly absorbed into this larger cultural dialogue, and I don't see any way around those set of precepts. My question for you guys is, um, you know, if you found it so compelling and intriguing that the, that the film was being marketed as something that was so uh, inimically tied with uh, with these sort of inimical is not the right word uh, that it's so kind of interlinked with these conversations yeah. intrinsically. Yeah, there you go. Um, I know big words. Uh, um, yeah, with these conversations, <laughs> with these conversations about you know police brutality and, and social justice, why then isn't the larger conversation around uh, uh, rape also a very very necessary framing device for heading into this movie? And I possibly, think there, right? I why, think, why, there, why, I think uh, it is. I think it is. I've, I've read multiple articles where there's wooden boycotts and. I think you either yeah, there, go there, into there it, are a you go into it in a certain not, camp, or you go into it in another camp. You either, yeah. or you don't go into it in another camp. I, I yeah, you're, I, you're I, choosing I, I, sides. For, this movie is forcing you to kind of choose sides before the movie even begins. Yeah, yeah, I'm not alleging. I'm not alleging that by uh, finding yourself really compelled by the Black Lives Matter comparisons, that you guys are therefore ignoring the the problematic allegations of rape. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I do think that you're right. There is a kind of a split there in which one set of very important social justice issues have been kind of very deliberately been etched into our understanding of what the film's intentions are versus the other one that kind of sprung up uh, unintentionally and extemporaneously from what the film is trying to do. That's also become nonetheless a very important consideration in how we're supposed to uh, like regard the seriousness of this movie. Which is why, which is what makes it an impossible question to ask at that point where you have to say which one, you know, matters more essentially when that's not a fair thing to ask anybody. Um, there's, there's, you know, there's, there, there's, there's, there's supporting wanting to kind of watch a film that could help, you know, be a conversation starter in some way that gets into, you know, societal truths and activities that are going on currently that can be, brought forward through through the you know through the power of cinema which often happens um but there's also yeah there's also looking at what an artist is trying to tell you and what you learn about them and what it is that you want to get from their you know what they're trying to tell you in their story or whether or not you want to support this person based off what you know what's happened um, and it shouldn't be it's it's you know it's not easy to come down on it's certainly not a it shouldn't be a matter of you know shaming shaming others for not participating in something based off how they're trying to view something. But um, I think with all this conversation, we need to get back to kind of what, what, what we think of the film itself, and then we can kind of branch out from there, because we only talk so much about what the actual movie, you know, is trying to do. And uh, Mike, clearly you, you think it's a little... You, you're, not a, you're not a huge fan of what it tried to do, uh, or at least how it was put together. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I, I you know, don't think... Uh... I don't think it's that great. Okay. I don't think okay. I don't think the movie is doing anything particularly subversive or challenging or um, 
all that revolutionary apart from the very clever kind of appropriation of that title. Okay, so let's get to Marcus. Marcus, what do you think of the actual movie? As far as the actual movie goes, um, the first, I want to say the first act, first 35 minutes or so, there's some significant problems. First time director kind of things, uh, significant pacing issues, to the point where I was kind of bored, and that's not something synonymous with like slavery movies, if I'm going to be blunt about it. But once it hits its stride, it is a hmm, Parker's vision and talent as a director is really shown. I think his true vision is is in that final ninety minutes, eighty minutes. Um, that especially in that last sequence, which kind of like it had me almost in tears a little bit. And I don't really cry during movies, but I think it was just really well done. It just hit everything perfectly and bluntly and did exactly what it it set out to do. When you're saying last sequence, do you you mean post-rebellion or like the rebellion and onwards? I mean, I mean, uh, I'm just trying to understand what what you're you're referring to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, post-rebellion. Basically what I'm saying, you know, there's a giant giant battle sequence. So like, are you saying like after that battle sequence? Yeah. So there's a scene where, see, I don't even want to spoil it. It looks like he's levitating. Okay. That was a scene that really got to me, but I think everything before that, or the 80 minutes before that, when I really started in, in, in enjoying is the wrong word, but when I really started Engaging getting the more. full weight of this film in a way that I hadn't, and I hate to be, you know, compared to like 12 Years a Slave or whatever, but in a way that I didn't get with 12 Years a Slave, I got with this. And maybe it was the violence, maybe it was good filmmaking, maybe it was something there but it did exactly what it set out to do and i think what the the the, the point of the movie the point was was uh, 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 i think the movie's a call to action no, whatever you want to say about that good or bad or whatever anti-violence pro-violence whatever it is what it is and if a movie can make you feel the thing that the director wanted you to feel i think it's a supreme accomplishment you mentioned Twelve Years a Slave. Did, were, were you were you not a fan of that? Or I forget. I, no, I forget no, 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 no. I was a fan of it. I, I, I um, with Twelve Years a Slave, I, I understood that it was it's a totally different directional style. It's it's um, the purpose of it was totally different. It wasn't some kind of uh, back pocket pamphlet kind of thing where you're going to hold it up and go, this is what's going on. This is a call to, call to action. It was a movie about the time. And it's not like I didn't like it, but I liked Django more. I liked this movie more. You know, I, know I don't even yeah, know. I know what you're saying, mainly because those these are the movies you just said, the, this movie and Django. But, they're angrier films. They have something but I don't very... want it to be like I, I liked it because it was more violent. But no, I get, the, I get, I get what I'm, you're saying. I was just curious. I was trying to recall your because I couldn't recall your thoughts on Twelve Years. Yes, yes. No, no, no. I liked it. I liked it. I, I, um, I think I didn't like it as much on a second viewing, and I liked Django more on a second viewing. It's funny. I could because I I rewatched Twelve Years recently because I wanted to. 
I want to revisit what what my kind of mind frame was when thinking about that movie, and it's it's still very good, and I do think it holds up. I still have some I have minor issues with it. Mainly, Brad Pitt doesn't belong in that movie; it's too distracting, right. and he has a terrible Southern accent or Canadian accent. I guess he's Canadian in that movie, <laughs> but um, um, but what I can, what I can admire about that film, in addition to just all the very you know. Steve McQueen is a much better director because he's been doing this for a little while longer and there's, you know, much better actors and what have you to go with it. It, it isn't one that's trying to necessarily champion in a certain idea or at least one that doesn't, it's not making it very overt in the same way that this movie or Django is for that matter. Django and they all like, brought up their, their questions and everything. I, I think this one brought up specific questions that I had. Well, I had seen before in other movies, but this was the main focal point of the same Bible that's used to justify is the same Bible that's used to for uprising kind of thing. I, I liked it. I loved its focus. I loved in the same way. See, I, I think, I think what I'm trying to get is, is the, the point when the point of the movie is to motivate you and it motivates you then they've done the director's done a good job despite the first 35 minutes which i think were not great okay. uh, that back half is something something great so i i can i could agree that yes i think the kind of the the latter you know fall, following the first act or so of the movie i think it really kind of finds itself as far as what it's trying to do but i still and you know, overall, I actually, do, you know, I do like this movie quite a bit I, as far as what it's you know trying to do. But I think I'm giving a lot more credit to its ambition over you know how it's accomplished exactly. And I agree with Mike to that extent, where I do think it there's a, you know there's an amateurish quality to it that's not reflect that's not you know it's not the lowest levels of amateur. But you certainly can see you can kind of see the strings of a, a new director coming to something like this and trying to do all he can with the budget that he has. And as a result, yeah, it, it's it's a very respectable first film. Yeah, I, yeah, for right. sure. Definitely. I mean, yeah. Yes. No question. Um, but I, yeah, like I mean, you're saying, Marcus, with the, kind of the first thirty minutes. Yeah, the act, the the editing's kind of jumbled all over the place. Where you're, it's trying to establish a lot. It's moving a lot through time. There's a whole right. like opening sequence in, involving. Yeah, it didn't fit at all. It, yeah. does, it does really. Yeah, and it tries to recall those moments a couple times, but it never really hits because I think it just kind of botched what it was trying to set up at the begin with. In the first place. Yeah, can I can I ask about this? So, I mean, that to me is the most intriguing kind of point of comparison to Twelve Years a Slave, which which mm-hmm. I you know this is based on my memory of Twelve Years a Slave. I haven't seen it since it was in theaters, but you know the purpose of Birth of a Nation is that it's very inter- interested in and invested in basically lionizing Nat Turner, and the scenes that open the film, which I guess are in Africa. I mean, it wasn't yeah. clear to me whether it was him as a young boy or if it's an ancestor of some kind, um, but. It felt I, think, to me I mean, almost, once you got the three dots in his chest, that's what you really. Well, it, yeah, to exactly. I mean, it feels like almost like it was a superhero origin story, right? I, I, I thought it was uh, a dream. No, I was really. See, I was all muddled with it too because he kept having kind of these premonitions and these things with people behind right. the trees later on in the film as well. I, I thought it was all. Yeah. And I, I, from my understanding of the history, the real Nat Turner also claimed to have had like these visions and things. So there is a question of yes. whether he was suffering from some kind of hallucinations or was mentally ill on, on some level. Right. But the way it's structured in the film is that there's a suggestion that he's possibly prophesized to lead uh, his people or he's destined to lead this revolt or there's something kind of special about him, which I think um, is very much encounter to something like 12 years a slave 
which is that, you know, it's more, that's a film that's more attentive to the day-to-day, like what they call the banal- the banality of evil, right? The minutia and the normalcy of slavery yes. as an everyday institution. And it makes a very particular point of showing us that even though its main character, the Solomon Northrop character, is an exceptional guy and he possesses a very different status as an educated free man, it doesn't matter because those distinctions mean nothing when the oppressive machinery of slavery is in full effect. And, you know, by Birth of a Nation makes it much more of a hero's journey that pits him against, like, these very stock cartoon villains that end up in a big showdown with the man who hunted down his father and coincidentally assaulted his wife. This Um, is clearly more of a brave heart than it is anything else. I I don't think that makes it any less of a, a movie. Well, no, I don't think it makes it less of a movie. I just find it less compelling to kind of rest it on this sort of, you know, this lionization of one character when to me something like 12 Years a Slave is personally more compelling because it's about um, not an extraordinary person, but just ordinary people. Birth of a Nation is very much about like an extraordinary person who may have been predestined to do this. To back yeah. to back up a bit, I think that's. I mean, it comes down to structure, like you were saying, obviously, and also you know, there's there's a reason why Solomon Northrop's like the best audience surrogate character in most film because it, he gets directly involved in something that you know it's you know it's horrible. But as far as you know, instead of being an extraneous character, he's directly involved in these horrible things. This movie, Birth of a Nation. Is you know it's Braveheart. I mean it very it's that's it's modeled off that kind of pattern. And you know you talk about hero's journey or what have you. It, it very much had you know it calls to mind a lot of specific films I can think of, which I know Nate uh, Nate Parker. You know he he did like consult Mel Gibson among other filmmakers and their styles of how how to make this film work. Um, I, I will I will concede you know that, that there is one major difference between the two films that uh, and that is that Birth of a Nation is very much about a call to action which is Marcus's phrase, whereas 12 Years a Slave, I think, is more about, like, bearing witness. Yeah. and that, Yeah, that because you're, you're basically, like, he's a, he's a tourist through this area. It just happens that he's directly involved in the, the work that needs to be done or whatever. Right, and know. that's reflected in some of the choices that Stephen McQueen makes as a filmmaker, right? Because you have these long, unbroken shots in which we as the audience are just kind of forced to observe what's going on without being able to intervene in, in, in the kind of horrors of, of the abuses, right? Yes, and you know, with this movie, yeah, it's obviously it's much different. It, you know, it's it's play, it's playing. You know, it's a character that's been in slavery all his life. Not that not one that's just, just you know brought in there all of a sudden, and you know how horrible that is. But it's one that's experienced these horrors on a daily basis since being a young child. And yeah, you know, compared to, we can get into the kind of discrep- discrepancies between the assumed reality that we know of. Yeah. And the movie so, tries to so was that was that an issue with with you guys the the so you you talk about the the the, the lionization but is it did it bother you that the actual character the actual historical man and this character this is a movie this is this is like a movie cut so he's not as layered so you would say he he he's very uh, singular in his thought. He he changes his way of thought, but it's it's very much like he's nobody questions his his way of thought. Everybody's behind him. Everybody there's no kind of uh, well, I, you well, know, I, I will, up to a point. I will say I can say that from my perspective, what I thought of you know the movie and what Nate Nate Parker's doing. I think Nate Parker 
Um, an actor that you know I've I've mostly liked. I there's I'm not a big fan of like Red Tails as far as like movies he's been in that, but like I, yeah. I have, for for him specifically as an actor, I haven't like been unengaged by what he has to offer. He's not you know he's not someone where I think man this this is the next big thing or this is like this is a guy I can't I just can't stand seeing. He's like he's a he's a solid actor. That's what I think. And, and in this film, you know obviously it's a passion project that he's you know has a you know all of his hands in. Um, it's it allows him to, you know, make a, he make, I think he, you know, he gives a compelling performance. I'd say, yes, it's not as maybe, it's not as deeply layered as maybe some other characters or not, but I don't think, but I think it's a, it's a strong acting performance from him. And no, 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 I, I, I enjoyed his character, but that's some of this stuff that I'm, no, that I'm hearing what, is that he's not. So the real, the, the real, okay. what, what, what I'm, what I'm getting to though, is that the, I think issues that surround it, which is, comes down to you know writing on his part, um, is you know we have a character we have Nat Turner who's in the you know he's in he's in the antebellum era like it's the you know the worst possible version of the South and he, he just happens to be quote unquote lucky that his owner played by Army Hammer who also I also think is quite good here I, I think he you know he's as I said quote unquote lucky that Samuel Turner is not a a horrible slave master to to start with compared to some of the others that we meet. And, but what I what I take issue with as far as you know how it's being directed or whatnot is that the movie it doesn't seem to get that slavery is slavery and that's already horrible. It needs to kind of go extra lengths to show what Nat what other things Nat Turner experiences, sees, and we'll get into this as we get into the other controversies surrounding him. But it, you know, what um what else it needs to do the layer kind of other other traumatic events on top of the fact that he's already living in a you know a daily traumatic you, event. you don't think that added to the atmosphere of the movie i think the first the first half of the first 40 minutes or so of this movie 35 40 minutes didn't have any of that it didn't have any of that it, it the it was the back half that had all all the brutality all the stuff we're going to talk yes, about and later. I, and, and what I like the most of the movie is the middle section, actually. I like when he's going basically on tour as a preacher and going to these other slavery plantations right. and seeing really horrible stuff. Um, getting, you know, it eventually gets to a horrible situation where he, both his wife and one of the other slaves that's in the same plantation as he is are both raped. And that's terrible, obviously, but it's, but it's also not, you know, based in any sort of fact. It just kind of, it's a thing that he invented for this film. And it's like, do we need to yes. invent an idea like this? In order to, for me to like really feel inspired by Nat Turner as what he's trying to do, it's like I, I get that there's horrors I mean, but, going but, on. But, it does, but, but I don't. I don't. What well, well, you're saying, you're saying, you're, you're saying that the first forty minutes or so doesn't, you know, really doesn't necessarily embrace it as hard as the, the preceding minutes that really get into the horrors of this situation. I think a better movie right. would have been able to do that essentially. And so I um, feel like it's taking a shortcut to get us there as opposed to just letting us not revel but you know take in the fact that free is is fucking awful already and i don't i don't okay. need i don't need i don't need, I don't, I don't need contrived plot elements to really i don't i don't have an issue with the contrived plot elements if they've it, it, you know it's just something that happened whether whether it happened on that day at that particular moment i i think it's, it doesn't matter i think it's put there to move the story forward obviously but it, it's not like it didn't happen yeah just for people who say that it didn't happen, it's just not true. Well, okay. well, well yeah, I think I mean there, there's there's a couple of different issues here. Right? One is the question of like historical accuracy and whether or not like the film's kind of fidelity to the actual history is 
you know, is a point of critique. And I think we could all agree, like there's, there's going to be some fictionalization, right. Or dramatization. Yes, I'm never walking into um, a based on a true story movie. And right. Thinking, this I, is exactly I don't think, yeah. I, yeah. I don't think any of us are leveling that critique, but I mean, I do agree that part of the problem, I mean, there is a wider problem, which is kind of a, 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 a the Achilles heel of like narrative cinema, which is how do you present this very wider institutional critique in a single film narrative, right? Because you eventually do have to make it about singular characters we follow and they're going to be either protagonists or antagonists and things like that. And so as a result of like structuring this film about the larger macro world of slavery uh, through the journey of this one character, you do end up having to like have characters fall into certain stock types, right? There's like the unabashed villain character who he has a showdown with at the end, but then there's also the, you know, well, he's Benedict Cumberbatch is the equivalent character in 12 Years a Slave, which is like, oh, he's he's not one of the evil slave masters. He's one of the good slave masters. But it's like, dude, he's still a slave master. Yes. Right. He is still, uh, you know, an object within this evil institution of slavery. And then he goes out and goes on tour, as you say, and finds out just how how horrible it really is and it inspires him to action. And that feels like that feels a little bit condescending to me. Right. That the the original uh the first 30 minutes is presented as though it's really not as bad as it could be and this is what kind of inspires his actions like this is kind of where the need to have a story in which his anger starts to boil up uh sort of reaching this climactic uh sort of moment of violence runs counter to the need to really recognize that this thing is evil through and through and you really shouldn't be messing with like hierarchies of, of evil within like an already evil and terrible institution well i think that's what but, makes Ar- i think that's what makes army hammer's character is samuel Ch- i think that makes it interesting that he yeah. becomes progressively more and more you know horrible um and he has right. to play off these different shades because he has a level of respect for that turner who he grew up with and then he become you know then it turns into a master slave situation and he has to reconcile that based off both his family name what he needs to accomplish in his own plantation regardless of how <laughs> how great that is for you know the slaves he has it's like oh well it's too bad your father you're you're not doing as good as your father i hope we can help you in some way master like it's there's but you know those different things those add to his character um you right, but at, the film is still like um penelope ann miller's character yeah um I mean, she's very much there to kind of quote unquote counterbalance, right? She's very sympathetic all the way through. And it's like, yeah, but you are still a matriarch within this system of, of, of bondage and economic exploitation. You know what I mean? So to me, like the half, the glass half empty version of this is like the film is still resorting to stock characters, cliches, um, narrative conveniences in order to just tell the story. And that to me, I think is to, to the films, uh, is a distraction. I know I, I see the stock characters, but I don't see them as the people you're pointing out. I mean, I, I, there was a scene where they're at a kind of like a mini auction. Yeah. And yeah, there's three gross, disgusting little hicks, right? And these are stock characters. These are guys that we are like, you visually cannot root for these people. Right. No matter what, if they're just, you know, out and about and it's a blink screen, it's just these people. Right. They're, they're, they're that's, those are stock characters. I don't think her character was like that. I, I, I think I think they were making the point that maybe there were people like this. Not everybody in in that South was um, a 
unbathed, unwashed, whatever. You know, there were people that had different emotions or people at different levels, owners or otherwise. There were people at different levels of this spectrum. There was people that were more cruel. And this is this is 12 years of slave as well. There's people that were more cruel. There's people that really didn't want to do it. There's people that were kinder well, in the I mean, sense of there's, slavery there's a, I goes. I think there's an inherent I, level of empathy in some people where it's like regardless of the, the thought that they right. are superior because they really look a well. certain way, they still, you right. know, they still, you know, they're recognizing that they're doing certain things that are not just good because they're, you know, human beings are treating this way. Right. Uh, if, uh, if, if Army Hammer wouldn't have done a certain thing in the movie, then I would agree that, okay, he's the good guy character in this. He's the good, but then he does it and it kind of goes, okay, he's a real character. This is how it really, it's just how it is. He does two things. This is just how it is. What he I, goes out and he makes somebody make so, make somebody uh, uh, give up their wife, and he does something else that I, I don't want to say, giving up a plot point, but he, it makes him a, I think it makes him a fully fleshed out character. What I, what puts me on, you know, more on, like I guess Mike's side of what you know he's trying to say as far as stock characters go, which I don't think necessarily applies to every single character. I think it just applies to you know certain things. Uh, but it's I mean we're talking we're talking about you know certain activities that make that paint characters in a certain light, so you see them as you know the clear villain or on you know the clear side of good or what have you. And I think a movie like this that's trying to speak to a number of ideas or start conversations, it's a it's 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 ascri- ascribing itself way too much to kind of a a very linear and familiar plot design where you were instead of getting us to just see slavery for how evil it is, which should not be that difficult to do. It needs to give us this kind of personification of various things so we can put a face on it. So you have things like Jackie or Haley's character. And so what, you know, you get to a final showdown and instead of us seeing, you know, Nat Turner and a group, you know, a giant group of slaves killing a bunch you know, a large, a large group of white people, um, which the movie very much tries tries to downplay is just you know the burliest and most evil of the white people, but they killed a lot of white people. Um, it, yeah, you know, it's it feels like which some of it I heard they cut they cut out the women and the children. Yeah, which so it's like I, they had a It's it's weird that the movie should have embraced this more, but that's really what it's trying to go for. But instead, yeah. it goes for a very traditional like well, there's I'll... that there's that guy that this particular slave is tied to, so we need to see the kind of comeuppance that they deserve. It's like I don't I don't need that. I don't need to have the exactly, standard right. standard villain payoffs that uh, go for you know go for a you know a typical action type movie. It didn't bother me as much as it bothered you. I, I it just didn't. I would say it, it's. It, I guess it, yeah, it, it bothered me to an extent, but I still like the movie overall. But I mean, it, it it's more of like I feel like there's, I'd be I'd be happier to support the movie as a whole rather than support the ideas that it's trying to represent. Yeah, I, my problem with this is twofold. One is a is a smaller critique of a film that that is using, or if I was being less kind, like resorting to certain narrative cliches that I expect from a you know, pretty mainstream Hollywood film as opposed to a film that has this kind of reputation for being, you know, it's a real together challenge a budget, to system, put together right? a, a, a yeah. certain vision. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it suggests to me that the film is not as uh, subversive as it thinks it is, but the, the larger critique that maybe, you know, I'm trying to find a different way to phrase it is that I feel like, you know, if you want to make a film about that is critical of the institution of slavery, 
like the early the early parts of the film, the opening thirty minutes before things quote unquote start getting really bad, that should be enough to inspire him to revolt, right? This idea that he then goes out uh, of his plantation and starts to see how bad other people really have it, that that's the instigating thing that gets him to realize how horrible mm-hmm. the system is, like kind of creates this dynamic in which like, you know, oh well, you know, he really didn't have it that bad in the beginning when really the whole institution really is the object of critique here. And to suggest that, you know, he, he went out and found out how, how horrible it was is I think a problem to have this kind of ratcheting up effect when the mere existence of the, of the system itself should be the object of, of criticism, not how bad it can get if you have the wrong kind of master. I, I'm. I mean, he was taught to read, and he was taught to read. He was brought into the house. He was, you know, right. I mean, he has. He, he lived he a different has, life than owners who are other people. And for him to to for him to to have to go outside to see something like that, I didn't have an issue with that. I thought that's the narrative of the story. See that that so much didn't bother me. Like I, I I'm with Marcus on that one. Where it's like I. The, the the way it's trying to build and in, build into his mind the need to rebel like i i get where that's going but what i and you know i said i like the middle portion of this movie the most and what i you know that's a, that's an element of it because you see some you see there's one brutal scene involving teeth that's pretty hard to to take right. in but i think that you know the other aside from you know kind of plot motivating things on that sort of visceral level i think there's a lot of interesting things going on as far as what he's doing which is you know he's going out to other plantations as a preacher um, and I think the 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 way this movie uses religion and that turn or Nate Parker, he's very much said this is you know a faith based movie. You know, he's a, he's, a, he's a Christian man who's very much having that informed how he's writing it. I think there's a lot of interesting things going on as far as him going to these different places. And while we don't see full sermons, we see pieces of them, and it's neat to see the way he's using kind of he's using passages and he's using ways that he's communicating to the other slaves of. Of an of an idea that that leads that you know builds the seeds to rebellion and the, and given that the very purpose of him going to these places was to kind of stave off the idea of rebellion while these while you know these white plantation owners go through like this drought and have various issues, um, it's neat to see him doing some a lot of double speak right, but... that gets to the slaves while also appeases the masters who think he's just doing you know regular you know just preaching without paying I, paying I'm much totally, mind to it. I'm totally with you in terms of there's a compelling. Uh, a narrative there's a journey here that's interesting and you know it's i mean it's a narrative film and so he needs an arc right he needs to kind of have a moment of revelation or a kind of <clears throat> moment of reckoning of some kind to give him an arc otherwise it doesn't work as a dramatic film if he doesn't if he's the same character all the way through but i'm just saying the way that that's structured however necessary it may be i think and, I, and i'm going to kind of deliberately caricature um the way you guys are are framing this and i don't want you to think i'm attributing this to you but i just i feel like it invites this kind of reading in which you say like ah you know what they they taught him how to read they weren't that bad with with him in the beginning like he had it pretty good it's like that and i feel like that attitude is completely wrong when you're talking no that's slave right yeah Um, i mean in in comparison to In comparison to everybody around him they, who didn't know how to read, who weren't getting dressed in clothes, who weren't friends with the uh, the uh, the master's son, I mean, yeah, I, well, I get slavery what, is slavery. Well, well, Mark is a set, yes, I and not to speak for you since you're right here, but I get what you're saying. Like I agree with you. Like the 
from a cinematic perspective, if you're going to show me a person that's going to become this rebellion leader that leads to a bloody massacre of a lot of people, showing me 30 minutes of a movie where you see one slave, who, and again, obviously, yeah, I'm using the word slave, but I mean, you see one slave who has the kind of, in the, on the slave spectrum, the, the higher end version of that where he gets to do a number of things, gets to, he's allowed to do a number of things that are different from the much harsher realities a film showing me that cinematically beyond like my understanding of slavery outside of the future it it makes a it makes a better point of what it's trying to establish to get me to to see him at that point where he's going to you know go running rampants and violently leading a rebellion against people and it's not like he does I, I i feel like in the movie it's not like he doesn't know whenever he leaves whenever he has to go out in places he sees stuff he is He's gonna be called on the the the, the sheriff's gonna be called on because he gave a little kid back a doll or something. These things are seen. He sees a a, a man with his head bashed in on the ground as he's uh, right, right, carting people around. Things are seen. It, it it's not, I don't think it's so far fetched to say that he might have been shielded from a lot of this stuff on in the certain house where he's at. Even stuff that was going around in the fields or in in in. in 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 the yard or whatever in the area that he was at as as a learned person as a friend of a, the driver as kind of like a friend of the family more so or not a friend but like as a companion to the family whereas everybody else is kind of a faceless nameless whatever i could see that it, it made sense to me that when he started going deeper into the South when he started dealing with people that were he had never deal, dealt with before and saw the starvation and all that stuff. I, it made sense to me that something clicked. It made sense to me that there was a progression there. There was a change of thought there. Yeah, I guess I guess what I'm saying, and and I don't think we're in that much disagreement as it might seem. I think I, I don't. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah. I, I think that if if the film had instead. Um, and sort of not taking him out to the other fields and he rebels anyway. And like, if there's this hypothetical scene where army hammer is about to be murdered by Nat Turner and he says, why are you doing this? I've always been good to you. And Nat Turner says, it doesn't matter. It's, you know, it, it really doesn't matter. No, you haven't. That's, that's not what goodness and that's not what sympathy and that's not what uh, mercy looks like. And that's the basis of his, of his rebellion. I think that would have been more interesting and I would have been fine with that. But I also, as I alluded to earlier, I recognize that that's not how you tell a Hollywood narrative, right, in, in which you have to have these sort of instigating events and this ratcheting up of tension and things like that. So uh, this is where I feel like the kind of conventions and tropes of dramatic filmmaking do kind of rub up against institutional critique, right, because you have to have these sort of pressure points and you have to have stock characters who are like there to represent how bad Oh, you think it's bad. Oh, no, it's even going to get worse. And that yeah, to we, me is a narrative concession. There's no doubt that the, and I said this myself that I mean I I, I think it's basically just Braveheart, but I mean the, there's no doubt the movie bleeds in a lot of narrative conventions to get to its point. But at the same time, the Army Hammer character, yes, that'd be very interesting if there is this kind of I don't care and he does it any, you know, the, that kind of interaction. That would be very that would be interesting. That'd be a way to go against a certain. That would be that would be very interesting. It, it would you know it further it create a new dynamic uh, right mm-hmm. there. But you know as it stands. We don't even, you know, as history goes, we don't know Samuel Turner to be a, a good person. Uh, we, 
or, or you know one that was always kind or whatnot and that's... right uh, it's the difference between i'm rebelling against the system that's inherently evil versus a character who had some kind of equilibrium with it who then decides he's had enough and i think those are two very different narrative trajectories um I will say that the the narrative trajectory that they do work into the film, which is that he starts to go around to preach, um, to pacify unrest among other slave communities, is is smart. I think it's really interesting, and here's why. It's because um, there is a very um, strong uh, undercurrent of like biblical themes in the film, and there's a moment in the scene, in, uh, there's a scene in which Turner comes to understand that despite there being pro-slavery passages in the Bible, there are also anti-slavery passages, and so the film is, I think, in very significant ways, kind of a middle finger to people who insist upon dogmatic interpretations of Scripture, that which is very relevant today, right? And so it really does <laughs> emphasize, it does emphasize throughout the film that the Bible as uh, as a text is equally parts about spiritual redemption as it is about just absolute barbarism. And so that to me ties very neatly and cleverly into understanding the historical context, so, but also the cinematic history of the title birth of a nation is that much more interesting, right? Because it kind of reminds us that there is a darker, uglier side to this idea of what we mean when we refer to the nation or what we think we're referring to when we talk about the moments of its, its quote unquote birth. Right. So that to me is very clever. Yeah. It's part of why I think the you know using putting the title right there at the end again. If anything, could have just done that the, that at the end and not have to put it up at the beginning. But it, it it does make it effective in what it you know those final kind of you know you have a lot of movies that have postscripts right at the end that give you a bit of extra information about what happened from there or whatnot. This one's very effective at doing that. Sometimes it doesn't work all that well, but I think it, this one you know really ends on a strong note because of the way it handles that. Followed by Birth of a Nation, you know, credits like it's 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 effective in that matter. Um, and I mean, we've talked about narrative convention or what have you, and how this kind of uh, plays a role in how it separates itself from other films or how it doesn't do so that much. What I what I can come down to is that a, a movie like this that you know has a lot of ideas at its hand and is going for a outside of whatever how possibly contrived the story structure may be or what have you, I can side with a movie like this because that I don't see it that often. I don't, or I don't get, and I don't get, you know, a movie made by, you know, by an African American lead, um, who's you know, star producing, writing something like this, who's taking a chance to to take on, you know, a title like The Birth of a Nation and make a movie that has to sway a certain way in order to get more across of a, get across a point. And if it's trying to do that, I can I can play down some of whatever. Uh, inaccuracies or whatever you want to call it is or and a certain line of thinking if it means that I can get behind the kind of the the ultimate message is trying to send can I also I mean I don't want to seem like I'm just you know insistently dumping on the movie I mean I don't it think you are some... I think I think you made, you made, you made well, let, a number of arguments say this. yeah let me say this like I think it, it does contain some very beautiful shots Right. Of like there's these upward pans of cotton fields. I mean, Nate Parker does have undeniably he has an eye for staging really beautiful images that are about inherently dark things like the fields or the hanging bodies at one point. If you recall, there's even like I thought and this this may be reaching, but there's a nice moment when Nat Turner is a child and he's being brought into the house to learn how to read. And there's a scene in which after he says goodbye to his mother, she's framed alone in the doorframe in a way that recalls the very famous shot in The Searchers. 
um, which is another film with a very complicated relationship to issues of racism, by the way. So, so he does have, I don't think that's reaching at all. I think there's very, there's a lot of deliberateness in, you know, every, yeah. So there's also that shot where, uh, after somebody dies, there's, he's standing on one side, the cross is in the middle and then the person dying is on the other side. I thought that was really powerful. There's some very powerful stuff, but I think, I mean, would you agree that there are also some very clunky shots? Yes. Um, Yeah. Like the, the one that comes to mind is when he's consummating his marriage and it tracks to two candles that are melting into each that other. Was, come on, right? I mean, there's a few moments like that where the symbolism is so heavy-handed it really does invite a, like a degree of um, of ridicule. And I think when people comment that ultimately the film is, uh, you know, has these strains of mediocrity, like these are the things that they're probably referring to. Well, no? yeah, that comes down to you know having seen a first film uh, from or for you know first time director for a theatrical film you know trying to mesh a lot of their ideas in there and also make it cinematically intriguing and engaging in some way and you know you can the, the, yeah heavy-handedness is the right way to put it it's just not quite there as far as what kind of uh, what kind of um cinematic depth you really need to convey certain thoughts beyond hitting it very obviously So can I bring it? There's something else I want to bring up with this film, which I think kind of ties to a lot of earlier comments we're making about whether the film succeeds or whether it's ultimately really compelling as a call to action Mm -hmm. and whether it kind of provokes that kind of emotions in you. And I mean, my sense from you guys and and from Marcus is that on that front, you found it pretty compelling and pretty uh, successful. Yeah. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah, Yes. For me. Yeah, and so here's why I think it fails big time um, with regard to that sort of call to action, um, instigation, revolution, that that dimension of it, which I think is a very important part of how the film is constructed and conceived, but also how it's being sold, right? The reason why I think that doesn't work is because of the, how the film represents women, which I find pretty problematic. Um, the uprising in the film regardless of how closely or it may or may not resemble the actual history in the film anyway is very much coded as a struggle that men take up against an injustice that's happening primarily to women um insofar as the kind of instances of abuse that nate parker witnesses uh are rape um there's other things there's other atrocities going on but there is this kind of extra emphasis on this. And so what it does, I think from apart from denying the women in the film an active role in the fight for their own liberation, it also reduces the female characters to just like objects of abuse. And I think the female characters in the film are really just like bodies to be abused in order to fill the hero, the real hero of the story with the sense of righteous anger that the narrative needs. Um, There are, like very explicit scenes of abuses toward women that are what set him off. And you mentioned the auction block scene. Mm-hmm. So he's shown rescuing this woman who eventually marries him. Uh, she, he's shown rescuing her from certain rape, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, that I'll just approach, yeah. yeah. Now there, there's, there's a couple of problems with this for me. One is our earlier conversation in, in that it has a very direct impact on the character of the controversy, not the, not the character, but the sort of, the, the major uh, controversy that Nate Parker is mired in right now because he presents himself in this film, which he wrote, co-wrote with the old college roommate, 
and directed and stars in and all that stuff. He presents himself as a hero whose righteous anger and violent uh, demand for justice is instigated by witnessing the injustices of rape. Um, and this is being presented by someone who Nate Parker may or may not himself have escaped justice for raping a woman. Now that's just really gross. And I'm, I'm in no way like the first person to, you know, point this out. I'm, yeah, it's, I'm really gr- just... it's gross at most and like dramatic yeah. irony at its least. Yeah. So I, I'm really just sampling um, a lot of other things that people have been saying about the film at this point, some of them very eloquently. So I, I don't mean to present this as an original insight. Um, and it's also, this dynamic is a very necessary framing mechanism for thinking about this film. If you are the kind of person who thinks the artist is implicated in the way we understand his art. Right. So that's one problem. But the other problem to me is to go back to this point of whether the film succeeds as this kind of provocative call to action is that, you know, if you are calling to action or to people taking up action against very uh, obvious and objective social injustices, but you're kind of leaving out the role of women in part of that struggle, the way I think this film does, I think that call to action is distributed very unequally. Um, and that to me is a problem. Is it? Is it? Does leave, that make sense? It, make, it makes a level as, of sense. As a yes. premise, anyway? Yeah. Yeah, but okay, so I, I, I guess I have to. Is it, is it leaving out all women, I guess? Uh, I mean, the. Or is it leaving out, you know, everybody except for Nat Turner? I mean, there's supporting characters in this film, and they're played by both men and women. And I wouldn't say any of the male supporting characters, besides you know some key ones that are you know heavily involved in the action that he's taking, like Army Hammer, or even like um, some of the other, not even some of the other slaves. I mean, we get some kind of basic notes about who some of these other slaves are because they're going to be involved in the big battle sequence later on. So you kind of have to like recognize certain faces, which again was part of my problem. They just kind of putting a face on certain things just so you can have something familiar to root for, which is also just makes a level of sense of having a having a coherent narrative to an extent, but I mean, is the movie, does the movie, is there right now, there's, there's, there's degrees of this, but is the movie rightfully or unrightfully represent, misrepresenting just the female characters, or is it doing enough to, or doing not enough to represent any of the other characters, except for Nat Turner, who's, you know, on screen for basically every scene in this movie? I think, as I said earlier, there is a fundamental disadvantage to being able to sort of, check off all these markers and to just kind of what satisfy every dimension of this in a two hour film. And that is, you know, one of the limitations that narrative filmmaking has as an art form, right? We, if we want the level of complexity that I'm calling for, like I recognize that, you know, I shouldn't be criticizing a film for what what it just pragmatically cannot show. Uh I get that there are limitations. Um, So, that I'll concede. But at the same time, I do think this film does have an imbalance in the way you know, you're right. It's about Nat Turner, who is a man. And I'm not saying that like all the other secondary male characters are lionized to a similar degree while the female characters aren't. But I do think the dynamic, the narrative sets up, which is that, you know, um, the, the abuses that he witnesses that seem to have the most narrative weight and thematic impact yeah, okay. on Nat Turner's journey appear to be disproportionately about abuses toward women, which right. necessarily makes his kind of righteous anger a kind of 
a, a masculine one. Well, kind of certainly, like, yeah. Right? It's a break. It's a breaking point for him. That's for sure. I mean, there is. Yeah, I I, there is that. There is that tooth scene that happens. And, right. There's a, there's here, there's a I, lot of abuses towards towards men. It's yeah. You're right. It's the breaking point. It's no. Yeah. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna argue that the yes. The like the the women's pun. The winners. The, the the harshness treated towards women is any better or worse than what's going to men. Like that's not a point I'm trying to argue. But I, I guess. Yeah, again, we're not, we're okay, not okay, okay, the, stirring okay. this hierarchy of atrocities, yeah. right? But I do yeah. think that the narrative weight given toward, um, right, it, it does kind of present him as this person who, like, this is the last straw, right? Yeah. This is and the I, thing so that I, really I turns the, the tide. The way I can put phrases is that, you know, Nate Parker is, this is his first try at doing something like this. Um, and it's not, it's not as if, and I'm not trying to make this any better, but I'm just trying to state a point. It's not as if this is the first film that uses the you know the harsh treatment of women or puts them down because of a because it's a male filmmaker that's telling a story it's not the first movie to do that um but yes the kind of put it a a closer magnifying glass on this on the very significant situation presented involving rape it it's a you know it's impossible for us to know what's going on in the mind of Nate Parker especially you know 16 years removed from his you know the whole the, the whole rape case that was associated with him and his college roommate, like the, you know, what's gone on in the mind since then, as far as how he wrote the story, what he had in mind, how he managed to cull together a story that uses a number of facts that are kind of emphasized for, regardless of the, the wife and the other, you know, the, the Gabriel union character, if they're, if they're actually raped in the way that the story is presenting it, which apparently they were not, but one, as Mark, as you were saying, you could probably assume that probably did occur in some way because a lot of these women were raped, which is horrible. Um, well, but, but we're the, not the, discussing. We're not discussing historical accuracy. We're discussing. No, we're not, like, no but, yeah, yeah, but so, but, but, so yes, does that affect the? It, it's call to arms. Is, does that affect how effective the the call to arms is? Because I I felt it. I, I I was in once I got in the theater. Even before well before I got in the theater, but once I got in the theater and I and I watched the the entire movie, I you know I I was very very motivated. I think that I, I think I, I don't know that I I don't know that I don't know that any of the outside stuff had the weight had so much what was weighing on my mind as when I finished the movie as when I started the movie. That my my critique about the representation of women in the film basically comes down to this: the film, I think, and it has that other character who. Uh, like one of the more gruesome scenes in the film during the the rebellion at the end is that he goes in and says, I, I, I want to personally kill this one guy because he raped my wife, right? There is a element to this film, which is obviously there's a larger slave rebellion against the institution, but there is also a smaller drama going on about um, the rebellion being motivated by and in many ways narratively and dramatically justified by uh, men getting revenge for the rape of their wives, right? And so that, to me, creates this unfortunate dynamic in which um, women are the victims and the men are the ones who are going out to make things right. And to me, they run down. They run down a bunch of stuff. Today I would be doing this, and today I would be doing this, and today I'd be doing this. But now we're all free. I think no, it's I think, what's I think shown. Here's 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 the critique. So I'll just kind of finish this point. I think 
there's an undercurrent in this film, which I find it's not, it's not the worst offense. It doesn't kind of, uh, 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 disqualify anything else the film may be trying to do, but the way in which the women are presented as victims and the men are presented as the, the men of action who take up the arms, I think w- one, given the issue of rape does kind of, uh, bring up this kind of icky situation with uh nate parker's history and that's maybe neither here nor there but i think it actually undercuts and possibly even betrays this question of a call to action because it doesn't encapsulate the kind of equal access to uh the tools of revolution and the kind of the need to recognize that like everyone needs to be a part of it and everyone needs to be uh included in this call to action. And so insofar as the film is very much alluding to a contemporary moment of, uh, of action and fighting injustice, the fact that the film does it in such a gender unbalanced way, I think actually runs counter to what the message I think needs to be right now, which is that we're all in this together. Which is, I mean, again, that's part of what I was bringing up earlier, where the, the film is putting essentially a face on a lot of things that, to to a cinematic degree help it find a way for audiences to connect but i don't necessarily find that to be the appropriate way of doing so uh you it's it's you know as i was saying earlier slavery is awful for all kinds of reasons and which you apply to the various acts that people you know commit uh, in a singular fashion as well as yet to the kind of the overall effect of what it was doing to begin with so it's I had I I had an issue with think you know looking at this giant final battle scene or looking at the rebellion and thinking okay the movie wants to I guess make it easier for whatever reason for me to relate to certain people because of specific things that happen to them rather than just you know having that more as you know you said before that kind of more interesting way of presenting a rebellion that comes not from you know completely un- not from seeing something like Army Hammer like being uh, you know, countering with "I was always good to you," and then going from there saying "I don't care." Like it, instead, it's giving me this kind of like here's specific reasons why I'm supposed to hate all of these people, and it's using a very cliched way, which is yes, mistreating women in a horrible fashion to do so. So it, I find error in that, and <laughs> which makes it very difficult to kind of come down on the film on you know whether beca- even though it does this thing, is it still good for doing this other thing? That makes that's that's. That's what makes it very hard, and obviously that's you know makes it even harder when you have a, a filmmaker behind the scenes that's been involved in uh, you know a scandal that's very hard to reconcile with when you're trying to watch this film, or you know have an opinion on it regardless if you watch it or don't watch it. Do you think um, its Oscar chances are basically shot? Yeah. I I yeah right. I think totally, that. I don't right? I th- yeah. well I think it's a mix of. When the film was coming, you know, when the film hit Sundance and it was in the midst of the Oscar so white hashtag thing and the, and, you know, as the, you know, what's going on with the nation throughout the year, it certainly, you know, that wasn't helping for one thing, or that would, that was, that was, that was propping up its chances of doing something. But as we got to the, you know, the end of the year and, you know, things usually happen this way, you know, other films start to emerge, other, you know, thing, other things get out the, the kind of the glow of Sundance starts to wear off where there were, you know, a number of people at Sundance that thought it was, okay but not great and that seems you know that's certainly become more of a thing now as the film has you know been released and has a wider set of reviewers and you know audiences getting a getting a way in on what the film's trying to say how, how and, much did this movie is this movie slick to the main uh um, well it let's see what the box office it hit um 
it made like seven million, I think so. Yeah, seven million this weekend. Movie, you know, ten million to make for one thing, and 20, you know, seventeen on top of that in marketing. So you know, you, you, you probably have to make like fifty million to break even or something like that. Um, but as far as audiences going out to see it or whatnot, obviously it's while it was a widish release, it didn't do you know very well for a first weekend given all the varying degrees of buzz that came around it. Um, and it's you know still early in the Oscar season, but and you know coming soon you have films um, like Fences and uh, Moonlight and the other um, what's the one with uh, Taraji B Henson that's about like the oh the space program the, yeah the wives yeah um, you have yeah, which which I'm because sure, that's also a Fox Searchlight film I'm sure they're you know wanting to position that one more towards an Oscar release too and this is just among many other you know Oscar contenders but those are ones that are specifically focused yeah. on you know black black people but, but see uh, that's all that's that's all the more reason why we can just leave this out of the nomination pool right because i mean well, that's what i'm saying you have other films that it are... should be left out but i think it will be left. i, I think uh, that's I think, no yeah. i think a very good argument for leaving it out and my argument like first and foremost is that i don't think it's actually that good but that aside like i just don't it doesn't look right for the predominantly white membership body of the academy to not nominate more consciously a, a more diverse range of films and instead focus like on films that are exclusively about slavery as if that was the totality of african-american experience there are no. stories to tell here with this history this is a this is a, this is a story to tell absolutely and you know nat turner is not a well-known figure in the history books and so there is absolutely a need for a nat turner story possibly more but we also want films like like creed or dope or Luke Cage on Netflix, right? Now, regardless of whether these are quote-unquote good or not, like we want to diversify this a bit and not just make it all about films that are explicitly about slavery or racial tension. There are more stories to tell. Right, and I think that's going to be the defense uh, when this doesn't get nominated and Fences gets nominated. I think that's that's going to be the defense of, well, well, you know, it just wasn't that good, or, you know, we need something... Not twelve years a slave. We already had that kind of thing. I think that's going to be the defense. It's it's you know it, I tend to find it irritating to kind of boil it down to very broad generalizations of that. I mean, it's like well, we already had the slave movie, so we can't do that again. That kind of thing. I mean, it's but I, I understand where that logic it comes is from. irritating. Yeah, um, and it's the kind of thing where these stories wouldn't continue to be told if you know if we were in some kind of um, what am I thinking? Um, uh, utopian society where you know these issues aren't a thing anymore but that's not the case and that's why movies like this get made especially you know when they're passion projects that come from low budgets it's not as if you know you you know stock acclaimed director came in and is like all right i'm going to tackle this movie now it's you know it's a person regardless of the their personal life they came in with a you know an idea for a story about a, a significant figure in american history that has you know ties to what's going on in today's culture i mean it they <laughs> There's there's good reason for things like this to be made that stem beyond just like well here's another one, yeah, but that, uh, which that, I can't which I can't say for other academy you know for other you know yearly Oscar nominations that are generally you know some white guy that overcomes some kind of adversity. Um, I mean it, it's it's very repetitive. But I and Mike on the other hand I see what you're saying. Also you know there are lots of other kinds of stories to tell as well that deal with a you know a, a diverse set of characters um, and what that means regardless if it's related to you know consciously related to social ties to today or whatnot it's just you know it's nice to see a variety of different kind of films in general yeah and i think it makes me want to redirect all of our attention to maybe asking the fox searchlight people who put up this massive bid for this film right i mean we have to get the the truth serum in them 
to really ask them, did you see this film as a important socially conscious call to action? Or were you more motivated by the Oscar so white controversy? Um, well, I can, I can you know, partially I answer, answer that. Is that like, what, yeah, is I can partially answer that because, I and mean, you know, obviously, yes, I don't know the full story. I'm not about to report that I do, but there is a, you know, a movie like this that comes out of Sundance that has this kind of great hype behind it. Um, a studio, Fox Searchlight, is going to be attracted to that no matter what. Um, it helps that, yes, it is in the midst of, you know, varying controversies surrounding a lack of adversity. So they're like, okay, this gives us even more reason and more compelling notion to do something like this. Also, Fox Searchlight, or Fox, for what it's worth, had, and I read this, it had like 16 films this year that feature no black lead characters. And so it's like, okay, we can take an opportunity here <laughs> to like, just find at least yeah, one film but... that we can finally distribute. I mean, the, Again, that's that's a lot of broad reasonings as to why things happen the way they do, but, but, but sometimes yeah, also, it also does help in some situations. It, it does, but it also kind of it, it draws attention to the fact that, like, what this tells me is that the fact that this sparked such a bidding war, it doesn't necessarily tell me that what we need are more stories like this, even though we we do. And it doesn't tell me that Nate Parker has a really promising career as a director of Head of Them, even though he might. It tells me that stories about slavery a lot of which have to do with representations of black suffering are considered commercially safe properties, right? That's a very important thing to keep in mind. If we're trying to understand what Fox searchlight saw in this, they saw commercial potential and they saw awards potential. And, and that, I think that, that may be the case, but we're talking about Hollywood. I mean, we're yeah, talking, we're talking, about a, we're, we're talking about a system that relies solely on money. That's exactly, but I'm saying within our larger conversation, within our larger conversation yeah. about the need for a more diverse set of like protocols in terms of how we assess and analyze and, and consume, uh, for lack of a better term, black stories, I think like the continued commercial potential for images of slavery is I think something that we also need to interrogate moving forward. Right. And I, I can agree with that. And it comes down to the system is not perfect. It is not at all perfect. And it's certainly not Hollywood's job to make that a new thing either. I mean, it, it's great to see initiative get taken and that's why you have a lot of other studios that do manage to make these things happen. Uh, but it's not solely the responsibility of one studio to move past their ideal goal of making lots of money in order to create, like you, like we were saying before, a call to action, it helps that it can do that. And I'm cer- I'm certain that it, not everyone at Fox Searchlight was solely thought that, that the only possible thing they can gain out of this was monetary gain. I'd like to think that yes, they can see there's other things going on here that can possibly right. stir. That's that's got to be the bottom just, line for every production company. Yeah, stir up not only just you know making more money, but also you know be a part of something that can create some further conversation that yes i would bring more put more butts in seats but also you know get get other thoughts out there that can spread some kind of awareness that can ideally in the future create a world where you don't have to worry about movies movie studios bidding on films solely because of certain qualities and nothing else But one yes, more I'm point. Not, I'm, one... I'm not above and beyond the idea that yeah it's more about the money than about anything else. yeah right. i'm it... That'd be just no. that'd just be naive, honestly. <laughs> one one more point about the film that I uh, wanted to get in there, which is that its casting is pretty strong, and there's one uh, really great character actor who I love named Roger Ginver Smith. Yeah, uh, he is. Films. Yeah, he's in a lot of Spike Lee. I may be mispronouncing his name a, a bit, yeah. but um, he is the. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the house slave. Yeah, he's in this. Film. And just love 
love seeing that guy in films. That's uh wanted to get that in there. Yeah, I like call, seeing Roger, here. call me. He, <laughs> he has he has a very unique delivery that he brings to all films, especially yeah. to do the right thing where he plays mentally challenged. But uh the, the um presence of him in this film, yes, it is especially because you have a lot of there's a lot of theater actors in this film for one thing. Um uh but you have, you know, he has a very unique delivery and he has a soft spoken voice and it wasn't easy to see him, you know, here, especially as, you know, the kind of yes, as you're saying, the house slave, the one that's you know, he's on I mentioned the slave spectrum before, he's certainly on the higher end of that as far as what he's not experiencing in the reality of his world. Alright, we've talked well over an hour about the birth of a nation. <laughs> Um, so we need to we need to move on to other things, but quickly, where should people go and see the Birth of a Nation? Would you recommend people see it in theaters or elsewhere? Theaters, most definitely. Uh, I would say theater over over uh, Netflix or something like that. But that being said, I think depending on how you feel about you know some of the issues that this uh, film and its reception have been kind of swallowed up by, I think. Um, choosing not to support the film is a very fine thing to do. It's, it's a, a very boycott worthy issue. I think if the, the allegations against, against Nate Parker really do bother you. So, you know, I think see it to be able to participate in conversations about it, but you know, it's not, it's not an endorsement necessarily. Okay. Fair? I hope every, I hope every, yes, fair, very fair. Um, I, and yeah, I, I would, you know, I would, I think if you if you see a movie like if you're aware of a movie like this and you have certain opinions on the way things are going uh, the and you and you're in favor of wanting to know what's going on in this film I think it's good enough that warrants a you know a viewing in theater because I I do think it's you know a good conversation starter or what have you um but yeah you know, I also agree with Mike's point as well obviously if you you know you have concerns about what you're supporting or who you're supporting exactly if that's enough to make you weary of of you know handing over money that way then yeah there's yeah, and it's a much bigger conversation, right? It affects how we talk about Roman Polanski or Woody Allen. Well, like um, Mel Gibson has an upcoming film that I'm very much questionable about whether or not I want yeah. to see. Oh, yeah, not, that's I'm right. Not a, and I'm not, a, I'm not a fan of Mel Gibson. But at the same right. time, I'm in a position where I don't have to pay for many of the movies that I see. So it's like, well, how much do I can I really attribute then? So. Exactly, right? And so, Do you think, the, the not to bring it back, but do you think the, the, the whole boycotting or how, how, how much... How many people do you think, or what percentage of people do you think are not seeing this movie because they haven't heard of this person, or because they're disgusted by allegations? I think at the end of the day, it makes up a very small percentage of people that aren't seeing it because of that reason. I think that's always the case when it comes to these kind of things. If anything, it makes more of a thing because it makes it gives it more higher box office uh, prospects because of people being curious about this thing that other people are complaining about. Well, I mean, Nick Parker, I think. If I'm correct, he's issued at least a statement or two to the effect of like he has implored people not to punish the film because it also takes away from the hundreds of people who worked really hard on making it, which is correct. Yeah. And that's yeah. fine. But but that's a inherently harder argument to make when how much of a passion project it, it was for you and how long you spent gathering funding for it is central to the film's kind of. Height success story, yeah, and so I mean, Mel Gibson stars in a film and then has a racist meltdown before a film comes out. That's not a reflection of the film or the people who worked on it, even though the film is probably tainted now. But with Nate Parker, 
who co-wrote, produced, directed, and stars in the film. And up until now, up until these revelations, was basking in the flame of possibly being like cinema's antidote to Oscar So White. You can't Re- revelations like, which were widely available on Wikipedia for the past sixteen years. Right, but but, but, but it really exploded around this room, right? You, you yes, just can't yeah. like you don't have the same flexibility to separate the art from the artist in this case. Okay. Uh, I hope that any listeners that have been, you know, listened to our very long conversation about the film uh, certainly have thoughts of their own on there. And feel free to email us at outnowpodcast.gmail.com. Oh, my God. Are you listeners still sticking with us? What are you yeah. doing with your well, lives? There's still a little bit more to do. <laughs> um, so I got to run very quickly through some feedback. Um, so I'm going to do that right now. Uh, and so these are a number of questions that I asked on Facebook, on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash outnowpodcast. And our listeners gave us a number of answers. I'm probably going to save the questions that they gave us for next week just because there's, you know, we're running along already. Um, and there's some, and none of them are specifically related to this week's show, thankfully. So I can, I can, I can use them next week. But thank you again for all the listeners that did send us questions because we're always happy to get them. As far as the feedback goes, our first question was favorite film about a rebellion? Uh, Joe writes, uh, Star Wars. Philip writes Gladiator, Justin writes Braveheart, the original Red Dawn, and Star Wars was given. And Jay writes Toy Story when Woody leads Sid's toys to rise up against him. Um, our next question was favorite subject matter when it comes to historical films. Philip writes, I like more obscure and lesser known stories that are worthy of a close look. Justin writes seeing the other side of war movies like the Iron Triangle. And Joe writes killing Nazis. Um, That's good. I like that answer. Yeah, it's pretty universal. Uh, next question was very relevant here. How much does artist-related controversy affect your feelings on a film? And so Jateman writes, not much, though, yes, what Nate Parker did is appalling to me. I still watch Woody Allen and Roman Polanski movies, so it would be hypocritical of me to avoid Nate Parker movies simply because, because of that. It also doesn't really matter to me because I don't care about Birth of a Nation. All the negative reviews don't help. I draw the line at Victor Salva, though. Uh, feel free to look up Victor Salva if you want to know what he's talking about. Uh, Philip writes, it affects my thoughts somewhat, which can't be helped, but I don't hold artists to the same standards as I would hold one of my kids' coaches or teachers or my pastor at a church. As a rule of thumb, I don't think throwing a baby, throwing the baby out of the bathwater is a good thing. A lack of accountability or remorse doesn't help the situation, though. That's obviously a very abridged version of what we're trying to talk about today. Um, Justin writes, I don't think it matters well to me, at least. So that's just a sampling of ideas, which are obviously, you know, they have a range right there. Can I add also that I think we are all guilty, like as a film viewing community, that we all do try to have it both ways because oh yeah, there's a hypocritical like, aspect yeah, to all the way. On yeah. the one, on, yeah, on the one hand, we may kind of engage in selective outrage about, you know, uh, Roman Polanski did this, or uh, Mel Gibson is crazy, or Steven Spielberg, you know, murdered that guy. Um, I guess we're not supposed to talk about that too openly, but um, like we. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just going to roll past that. Um, <laughs> no. would say, like, we would say, for instance, that knowing a few things about Mickey Rourke and his life enriches our experience of watching The Wrestler and understanding yeah. that the character's comeback in the wrestling ring is essentially Rick, Mickey Rourke's. It's analogous to his comeback as an actor or Michael Keaton and Birdman, for instance, right? So th- there are instances in which we relish these biographical details and recognize that they perform an added element to the film. So... Are we to engage in that, but then hold off and criticize the film when that biographical detail is kind of horrific, right? I'm just wondering, like, who gets to decide that? Does the artist have any say in that, or do our interpretive judgments kind of supersede um, what their intentions are in the case of something like Birth of a Nation? I think um, people are 
making yeah. a moral assessment of Nate Parker right now because he very well may be like a horrible guy. Um, and we're just assuming that that must have some direct bearing on how we're meant to interpret the text that he's produced, right? So there is kind of uh, – there's there's hypocrisy to go around, I think. Not hypocrisy, uh, inconsistency, I would say. Inconsistencies, but yeah. But that, you know, that obviously, yeah, that, that's, again, part of what makes us human as far as the choices that we can make in that regard, uh, which is very complicated, no doubt, and can obviously inspire some irritation in some, maybe. But, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult thing to comprehend, which is what I think we've tried to accomplish in talking about the film today. Um, next question. Have we we're... solved it? We've solved the issue, haven't we? Oh, yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. You, you got your trophy? <laughs> High five to us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what are the most hard-to-watch films you've ever seen? Uh, David writes, A Million Ways to Die in the West. I wish I were joking. Uh, Jason writes, Sallow, also irre- irreversible in movie 43. Uh, Charles writes, Two Lander, or Zoolander 2, that's a travesty. Jason writes, Twelve Years a Slave, and it was hard to watch that film because of how real it felt. Philip writes, Eight Heads in a Duffel Bag was so hard to watch I walked out. That's the first time anyone's mentioned Eight Heads in a Duffel Bag since 1998, so good on you. Um, Manish writes the 1994 film Gaslight, a really suspenseful and horrific look at psychological abuse. Dennis writes Irreversible and Bruno. Justin writes Beasts of No Nation. And Brandon Peters writes Sallow. Beasts of No Nation was really hard to watch. See, I saw that in the, I saw that at a screening, so it was like, I, it, you know, that movie's on Netflix, I can, it's easier to kind of pause and stop things, but you really kind of got to sit with it when you're sitting in a theater and watching yeah. a movie. No, I can see. I can imagine that. Uh, Favorite film set on a train? Tyler writes, does Strangers on a Train count? At least part of it does. So, yeah, I'd say yes. Uh, Justin writes, Trading Places has a part in a train. Adam has, writes, Source Code. Uh, Philip writes, Darjeeling Limited in Source Code. Greg writes, Just Saw Train to Busan, my new favorite. And Manish writes, The Lady Vanishes. Lastly here, favorite film. Can I I throw in? Can I throw in a a terrific recommendation? There's a film... Oh, I want to say it's like 1951, 1952. It's a B noir film. It's called The Tall Target. It's like 60, 70 minutes long. It's terrific. It's about uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln has just been, he's just been elected president and he's on a train uh, to his inauguration. And the main character is a detective who has gotten word that there's going to be an assassination attempt on the train. And he is trying to figure out who among all these passengers could be the potential assassin. Dick, Dick it is, it's, yeah. it's tremendous. The tall target. I see the 1951. That sounds. Yeah. Check great. it out. Yeah. I will put that on a list. Cause that sounds neat. Um, last question. I'll throw in Snowpiercer because I love Snowpiercer. So there you go. Um, last question here. Favorite film featuring Emily Blunt. Susan writes edge of tomorrow. Dennis writes, I'm going a different route to say Live, Die, Repeat. Also, Sicario. Justin writes, Live, Live, Die, Repeat, but the red dress in the Adjustment Bureau was amazing. Philip writes, Looper, with some love for your sister's sister. Manish writes, showing some love for the young Victoria. I believe that's friend of the show, Jordan Grout's one of his favorite movies. Uh, Darren writes, Looper. Adam writes, Looper. April writes, Edge of Tomorrow. And Jay writes, Nomeo and Juliet. (laughs) All right. So that was feedback. And uh, now we are going to quickly move on because we always, regardless of what Marcus thinks, have a little time for. That was the quick improv theme for games. That was pretty good. I have a game here. Because Abe is not here, he did manage to send me his game uh, for the week, which is called This is a Rebellion, I Rebel. 
And uh, so basically, <laughs> clues are going to be given about the plot of a movie with a rebellion revolution as a running theme. After hearing these clues, buzz in with your name to answer. So I'm going to read some clues, and if you want to say an answer, just yell, shell out, yell out your name and then say what you think the answer is. You guys got that? Got it. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Here we go. Here's the first one. A trio of heroes and their hairy tall friend must stop an intergalactic takeover by a dark and powerful force. Mike. Mike. Wait, is that Star Wars? That is Star Wars. Uh, you're right. Here's the next one. Oh, no. There's 18. Well, I'm kidding. There's only so many. <laughs> a released convict, a daughter in love, and a young revolutionary, and a police inspector bent on finding prisoner 24601 all converge in this rebellion and revolutionary classic. Oh, channel. that's Mike. That's Lane Miz. Lane Miz is correct. Yeah. Abe always likes to make it obvious when he says, find prisoner 24601. Hmm, Here's the next one. A man who leads his countrymen against England and King Edward I is finally captured and killed, but not before uttering a super famous... Uh, Mike, that's Braveheart. Mike nailed it, yeah. Got it. All right. Here's the next one. (laughs) Am I still in this? You're you're in this. I mean, you could rebel against the the game. Uh, Yeah, I know, right? A shadowy... A shadowy freedom fighter armed with knives recruits a young woman to help the folks remember. Like, uh, yeah. Mar- oh, go ahead, Marcus. No, you know that first. I forgot my name for like two seconds. Uh, yeah, is this V for Vendetta? That is correct. Here's the next one. Struggling to understand what emotions and feelings are, a high-ranking Grammerton cleric leads a revolution with the help to. Oh, fight. Mike. Yes. This is uh, Equilibrium. Equilibrium is the correct answer. Gankata. Do I watch movies or? <laughs> I don't even know. To be is fair, it... Equilibrium is a piece of garbage. <laughs> I, so. I, that's the one I hadn't seen. That's the one I had. I like Equilibrium, I... but I just forgot. Yeah. If an old woman bakes you cookies and tells you that you could be the one to awaken everyone from a computer simulation, oh. then oh, you may Marcus. want to. Marcus. Matrix. The Matrix is the correct answer. You're on the board. Oh, yes. Okay. And it's here's over? the last one. <laughs> after after the murder of his son by British soldiers, a farmer who was haunted by the French-Indian War he served in must take uh, up Mike. arms. Yep. Patriot. The Patriot is the correct answer. Humorously, Abe added a tiebreaker question. <laughs> so I'm going to read that now. <laughs> Did he, was I not the first pick to be on this show? Was you were, which, make, which is why it's humorous. Oh. Then again, I was also I was also supposed to be involved in this game at some point if Abe was here. So yeah. here's the next. Here's the, here's the here's the last question. When a when dancing and rock music get banned, a rebellious teenager must prove that everyone's <laughs> given right to be able to have. Yep. You want to? Yeah. Want to do it together? You. <laughs> I can go ahead. Footloose. Footloose is yeah okay. Mike, you were the clear winner of that game. How much was I close? Yeah, you were really it was close. Like, yeah. What, do I, what do I You're win? Right there. You win credit. <laughs> yeah. I'll take credit. Okay. Got to speed through these things. Um, let's do this. That was games. <laughs> Here's Out Now Presents What's Out Now. These are movies that are coming out on Blu-ray or DVD this week, and we have a number of things, including Ghostbusters, which, Mike, you're on that podcast to talk about. Hey, not on the DVD, though. Yeah. Um, let's see. The Legend of Tarzan. I never hey, saw it. You can give a yay or nay to that if you saw him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's not good. Um, Ice Age Collision Course, which is not good. Not good. Um, the Thing, new Screen Factory, co- and Carrie both have new uh, Screen Factory Collector's Editions this week. Um, 
both have oh. all new features and all kinds of stuff. I watched the thing. It has a great new transfer, a lot of new features. It's, you know, certainly, if you haven't seen these movies, you know, worth picking up. Uh, the Infiltrator. This is the Brian Cranston um, drama uh, about him. In the was that good? It was okay. Like, Cranston's good at it. It was okay. That's, that was my takeaway. Uh, speaking of Gibson, Bloodfather comes out this week, starring Gibson. Uh, yeah, it's some indie movie that, or a small, small movie that came out starring him as like I believe like a father out for revenge, some kind. Mm. Oh, Bloodfather. Yeah, but he's a he's a recovering alcoholic who is like has this moment of redemption, right? Because my understanding of the chatter around this movie is that it's kind of hard to watch without thinking about the parallels to like Mel Gibson's personal demons and whatnot, and so that kind of adds this intrigue, I think, to to how the film's getting talked about. I'd say most are hard to watch these days, but uh, yeah, <laughs> for that reason. Um, let's see. Miami Vice, the complete series, is now out on Blu-ray, so there you go. I'm waiting for that. Get, oh, those, get, those, get those pastels on. <laughs> um, on Criterion release this week, Boyhood and McCabe and Mrs. Miller. That's wow. just a great set of movies that are now on Criterion, so there you go. Um, yeah, let me just pop in Boyhood. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's a Wonderful Life Platinum Anniversary Edition, now on Blu-ray as well. Um, if you don't have that already on Blu-ray, you need the Platinum Anniversary Edition. I'm sure there's something good on wow. that. Wow. And lastly, Hannibal, the complete series, is now on Blu-ray. Oh. It's a big fancy box set. Uh, let's skip ahead here. Let's see. Extreme. That was that I was presents with. Oh, extremely cool. These are movies that are now streaming. The only one I can recommend is Thirteenth. This is the new Ava DuVernay documentary. I was going to say the documentary, um, which I've heard nothing but great things about. It, it concerns uh, black men and the, uh, the justice system, I believe. Um, I imagine it's certainly worth checking out if you haven't got around to that, uh, if you're interested in the topic. Yeah, here it's here it's great. Yeah. Uh, next week's show, next week we're going to be talking about The Accountant. That is the new Ben Affleck starring film directed by Gavin O'Connor, I believe, who directed Warrior and Miracle. Uh, so this is a far cry from both of those. And um, let's see. Last thing we should do here, what should people go and see now? What do you plan to see next? Marcus Robinson, what should people go and see in theaters right now? I, I think The Birth of a Nation. What are you going to see next? Uh, the Accountant. Mike Dillon, what should people go and see in theaters right now? Uh, uh, I don't know. I'm really just biding my time for John Wick 2. Okay. So I have, can I can I uh, make a, a different, like a sideways recommendation? Go, yeah. I know that we are a film podcast, but uh, I've been reading a really terrific novel, uh, which ties into our discussion today about slavery. It's called Underground Airlines by Ben Winters. It's about a parallel universe set in, uh, in a contemporary America in which slavery has not been entirely abolished. Uh, the main character is like a, a U.S. marshal who's tasked with tracking down runaway slaves, and it is uh, very, very good. So, for you readers out there, check it out. In terms of movies, though, no, I don't know what's coming out. All right, well, what are you going to see next? <laughs> uh, I'm intrigued by the accountant um, because uh, I think Warrior is tremendously fantastic underrated. Movie. Yeah, it's fantastic, yeah. and so I, I I have hopes for this director. So I'll probably. I'll probably check it out, and then I'll tune in uh, to hear what you guys have to say about it. All right, very cool. 
And with that said, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Out Now, Out There, and Abe. You can find more of my work on my personal blog, thecodeisgeek.com. You can find all my written movie reviews over there, as well as on ysoblue.com. You can also find me writing daily over on Screen Rant on, and also on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Uh, Marcus? Uh, you can read some of my stuff at moviesmarcus.com or follow me on Twitter at moviesmarcus. Mike, is there anywhere people can find nope. more of what you're doing? Still not on Twitter. I want to be alone. Okay. You can find all the you can find all the other episodes about now out there in the over on iTunes as well as on Audio Boom. Also, older episodes over at hhwld.com, and we have a SoundCloud page. Um, you can we'll be updating that soon as well. Feel free to email us any thoughts that you may have had about what we discussed this week. We certainly talked about a lot over at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Let us uh, know you know other thoughts or participate over on our Facebook group facebook.com slash outnowpodcast. Also on Twitter, you can follow us there at twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. And, of course, there's our Tumblr page where we can get plenty of things that we're never going to see because we don't really check it that often. And out on podcast.tumblr.com. Marcus and Mike, thank you very much for joining me today to discuss Birth of a Nation and everything else we talked about. Thank Great you. discussion. I thought thank so. Thank you for having me. Yes, I hope the, uh, the listeners enjoyed what we had to put out there because we certainly got in a, a lot. And uh, until next time we talk about something decidedly lighter, like Ben Affleck killing people for the CIA, that's going to do it for this week's episode. So until next time, so long and goodbye. Say she gonna lose me She prayed the angels out on duty Preacher can't even rebuke me No mama Born a sinner and I'm bound to sin again tonight You gonna have to forgive me He protests for the press. That boy is shucking and jiving. Oh, is that your chance? I see she ducking and hiding. My daddy did it for meals, but that's just not who I am. Now, turn this revolt. I won't preach Uncle Sam. I only preach for the hood. I only preach for the fam. I pray they sing a new song. I pray this song is the jam. Mama says she's gonna lose me. Yeah, she prayed the angels out and do that. Okay, Mike, you were the clear winner of that game. How much was I close? Yeah, you were really close.